ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure. Run fast on Raw Dog. Serious XM Comedy Hits. Channel 99. It's the Ron Fez Show. Uh, we're going to get today's show started with an unmasked, uh, the very, very funny Chris Gethard. Now, Chris does a show called The Chris Gethard Show. Uh, I've seen it on public access in Manhattan. Um, which to me is better than most networks that you ever see. Whenever you watch public access, um, I find it always fascinating. But you can see this all over the world at the com. Now, normally when a guy does a public access show, it's because he's not in show business. He's on the outside. He's doing something that he's hoping will be seen by someone. The amount of people that started on public access and went on to mainstream is probably pretty small. The thing about Chris Gethard <clears throat> that got to me immediately is he's got real show business uh, credits. Uh, just the other night, I'm watching a rerun of The Office. He's on there, and he's slaying it. Uh, I've seen him on Louie, Bored to Death, uh, Broad's uh, City. He's appeared on the Conan O'Brien television show, which is on TBS. That's normally a big deal. You wouldn't expect someone who's written a best-selling book like Chris has, A Bad Idea I'm About to Do, would also do a public access show. And you know why he does that public access show, even though this other stuff is going on? Why? It's fucking crazy. This is the craziest show maybe I've ever seen. It's like such a throwback to, um, well, sometimes you'll see like a punk rock band that appeared on something like in the 70s or 80s, or there was uh, some show that was done downtown on public access back in the 80s that um, Basquiat was part of and Keith Haring would be hanging out and that's what I the feeling I had when I watched the Chris Gethard show I'm like I don't know what this is but maybe there's really something here and Comedy Central took a good hard look at this show and uh, and there was talk about putting it on they don't know how to handle it though I don't know whether this would be acceptable outside of a cult status 
because it's really, really cool. Is it called Status? I love watching. Like I, the show's hysterical. Or should I say Status? Status, status. I think you can say either. I think either yeah. works. Is it either or either? Either. Mm. Anyway, Chris Gethard is a really funny guy. We already know this. But he also does what I consider one of the real important things to do, and that's bring these strange, funny people in with him. And, you know, the weird thing about it is these strange, funny people can be just come like the straight-out funny people. Um, I remember there was a show called Fernwood Tonight, that was on TV years ago. And the host was... Fez, what's his name? Martin Mall. Martin Mall. This was like a weird show. Martin Mall then, of course, became mainstream. Um, Fred Willard was his sidekick. Fred Willard became mainstream. Uh, Tom Waits was the musical guest on the show. But at the time that it came out, people were like, this is really... Weird. I don't know. You know, you tell your friend, I got to see the show. Um, obviously, Howard Stern's show in the early 80s used to be on TV. People get to see it and they wouldn't, you know, try to understand who all these people were. Howard Stern became the mainstream. The, um, so you've got to come from the outside a lot of times. And Gethard does that. He could be on the mainstream on his own. There's no doubt about it. And he is on the mainstream on his own. But what takes him into this thing that's on the outskirts? Um, personally, I would consider that art. He's being an artist. But of course, as always with art, you yourself are also going to have to judge. I'll tell you, I think you're really going to enjoy the show either way. And I was so glad that Chris came in and did this at this point of his career because... If it isn't this show that he's doing, something along these lines I think is really going to blow up for him. Um, he's a funny guy, and he's also a really good guy. He's a, he was a great guy to sit down and have a conversation with because he's totally open about so many of dark things that have happened in his life. Uh, the show is the com. Check it out. Also, you'll want to read this book, A Bad Idea I'm About to Do. And this is Unmasked with Chris Gethard. Chris Gethard. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and doing this, dude. Please. I'm su I was super flattered. Well, you Anytime know, Anytime someone asks me to do anything, I'm excited. Well, you know, watching your show, you know, I'm just very concerned that everything's okay with you. <laughs> I'll take that. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. It is probably about the craziest show I've ever seen in my life. Thank you. Um, I didn't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but do you, you've put together uh, a show that the audience is as crazy as the entertainers if not more so and yeah. so, sometimes they kind of push us to places 
that even we're not comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. Like there was one episode where they just started, like before I could intro the show and what it was, they started chanting the phrase, eat more butts. <laughs> and they wouldn't stop for 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. And it's a live show, so it's not like we can edit it out. It's just, right. we have to just like take part in it and roll with that and make the whole show about people <laughs> chanting about eating butt. So at, um, at a certain point, you have to think to yourself, this is good that they're stopping the show. Who, wh- the, that the audience is stopping the show yeah. instead of being like settle down you just gotta yeah. roll with it I definitely think I, I mean to me it's like I just feel like it's more interesting to see where they want to take it like even when it goes well even when they're not that crazy I like our show we take calls and stuff and I kind of like when the callers throw monkey wrenches at us and make us go in different directions or think about it a way we weren't thinking about before just because I think that's interesting and I don't think I don't know. I don't want to like be rude, but I don't know that there's much TV that's interesting to me. Right. You know, right. it's all it's all set around formulas and formats and structures and marketing plans. So I'm not the most successful guy in the world, and our show's on public access. But the benefit is, if we want to do an episode where like we build a burrito on my belly, that's totally fine. Yeah, like, um, as well as being the opposite of show business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolute career suicide. Yeah, right. Um, but I'm into it. I'm yeah. okay with that. I think uh, I think that's the interesting thing that not only are you building this format, but you're building an audience out there because you're getting calls from all over. The country. Yeah, the world. And, it's uh, yeah. nuts. Uh, because it's out on the internet at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we stream it online. We get yeah. calls from like Sweden and Brazil and Dubai and stuff. It's really, every time, like it was weird. We started it in New York and it was mostly just people in New York prank calling us. Right. And then we'd start getting calls where they weren't pranking us and we were so excited that anyone was taking us seriously. Then it was like, oh, we got a call from Pennsylvania <laughs> and now we get calls from Dubai. It's really nuts. Right. It's really cool to see how it spread. Well, it is really, really cool to invent an audience. It's a very tough thing to do. Yeah. Only a few performers have ever brought people to places that don't normally participate. But you and I were talking about this before we came out here. Most of your audience could be considered at risk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. these are really yeah. edgy young people. Yeah. yeah, a lot of my fans are um, vocally suicidal. And that's not a joke. That's I wouldn't make a joke about that. They right. email me and tell me that they're depressed and suicidal. I've kind of got the, the market cornered on... Um, People who are who are not feeling good, but and it, which has been an interesting thing. We just had a show a few weeks ago where we asked people like, "Hey, if you used to watch the show and you don't watch anymore, how come?" And I would say about sixty percent of the people called in were like, "Yeah, like I I'm not depressed anymore, so I don't watch your show," <laughs> which is a weird thing. Like our audience tends to be people who are really in a dark place. Yeah, and they watch it when they need it, and then they like get girlfriends or jobs that make yeah. them feel good, and then yeah. they stop watching. It's really kind of a strange thing to realize yeah. like you have these fans that kind of reach out for help and then you help them but then they're not your fans anymore <laughs> <laughs> well you're gonna lose them one way or another i guess i right? guess so yeah. yeah i guess so yeah now did you base this concept on anything that you had seen before i mean it's well yeah i mean like i i grew up my whole thing with the show was kind of like I wanted to make a show that my brother and I would have liked when we were kids. And we used to sit around. We grew up in North Jersey, and we used to watch, like, you know, you'd flip through those upper channels back before yeah. 
cable packages were what they were and you could find some really weird stuff and for us like there were a few shows that were kind of like Jersey only or East Coast only like Uncle Floyd I don't know if you know Uncle sure, Floyd of course Bowie did the song about yeah him. he's like he was like a weird vaudevillian who had a homemade show on, on Jersey television it wasn't public access but it was like definitely he like leased time yeah. and his sponsors was his sponsor was the Fairfield Flea Market and he was just like this dude who like really seemed like a guy that I could have just met walking down the street and his show was real messed up and they he would screw up on camera and they wouldn't edit it out like these yeah. guys would just make fun of him from off camera and stuff and I always thought that was so cool and then like when I was a kid there was a show on Channel 9 called Steam Pipe Alley uh, with Mario Cantone yeah Mario Cantone and it would be like they'd show cartoons and then he'd like do an obstacle course where kids had to like box each other in a bunch of pudding <laughs> while he like did a Liza yeah. Minnelli impression right. you know like, yeah. it was just really strange and like some of those things when I was a kid they just felt like really raw and small and um like local but also because they were kind of rough around the edges and visibly sort of messed up and cheap you kind of felt ownership of them you kind of felt right. like they were yours and as a kid that felt really different than like watching a sitcom that had a laugh track and feeling like well this comes from someplace called hollywood like uncle floyd is a dude who straight up, like, you could be in any diner in New Jersey and he might just be there. You know what I mean? Like, and I really loved that feeling. So for, for me, it was that. And I also, you know, like, I have, I have made efforts to have a more traditional career in comedy. And we started the show at, at the UCB theater for a couple of years and it went well there. But then I did the public access thing. I got on a sitcom and it didn't go well. And I was like, I want to do something that I'm in control of. Right. And sure, it's like really bonkers, but it's mine, right. you know, like that feels good. But, you know, we're sitting here talking about this as if it's really small, but Zach Galifianakis has done yeah, your show. Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. So there is this the, funny people watch this show and go, oh, is there any possible way I could yeah, get in on this? That's been cool. Galifianakis yeah. actually came on and then he emailed me afterwards. He's like, dude, if you want to try to pitch this around... I would love to executive produce it, put my name on it. And I yeah. was so psyched and comedy central bought a pilot of it. And then they passed and we were like, okay, man, we'll bring it somewhere else. And then since then, I think 11 other networks have passed, <laughs> Yeah, which is like, you know, that's fine. Right. That's okay. <laughs> it's to be expected, you know? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, I can understand why a network could pass yeah. because, you know, Zach Galifianakis was shaving a kid's head. Yeah. Who may have not been old enough to say, I want my head shaved on TV. Yeah, he was, you know, 15. Right, yeah. okay. So that's the kind of stuff that the network would go, what would we get sued for? You know, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. <laughs> like when they pass, I'm like, I understand, you know, yeah. but I, I also think there's like, I wish that they could think outside the box a little bit sure. more. And I also wish that they could just sort of recognize, like, if they told us, like, we'd rather not have 15-year-olds getting their head shaved or, like, audience members dressing up as Thomas Jefferson and hitting each other with brooms. Like, right. we've, also, we've also done a lot of smart stuff and thoughtful right, stuff. Sure. Maybe we could just focus on that if you want. And they don't really, I think, uh, I think there's some some aspects that are probably like i don't know kind of terrifying to anyone who would have to be responsible for well, yeah, it sure uh, but, but also the problem that everyone always has with the suits is they only see what already exists yeah you know what i mean so that's the biggest thing that you're asking them to use their imagination the way you have it's a different job. Yeah. And I will say, too, especially with Comedy Central, like all their creative people were really behind it. Like it wasn't the type of thing where they kept trying to change it or tinker with it. Yeah. They, they actually were like, we don't want to ruin it. 
So we don't, we don't want to be the guys that ruin your show. We really like it. And they were kind of pushing pretty hard for it. And then it got to the marketing department and they were just like, what are we looking at? Right. Yeah. Like, what are we even looking at? This makes no sense. So I get it. I get why a marketing department would not be down. But if you're Comedy Central, you're probably looking at your own audience when you see that. Like, I think that maybe if you did the, you know, the jackass dude bro angle of this, they could get it. Like, these guys are extremes. But you're saying, I've lived my life as an outsider and now I'm gathering outsiders, which, by the way, is punk rock. If you want to look at something. And I grew up on punk rock, so that's definitely been... A huge influence on me. Like I, I, I really feel like I model my approach to building the show more like a band than a comedy project right. because it has built an audience and they do identify with it. And I don't know. I kind of, I, I, I almost feel like maybe it's just hubris or even stupidity. But I'm like, well, if they box me out, then I'll just have to keep finding more people who don't want to be a part of what they're offering anyway and right. just build it until it's undeniable. So that's kind of an exciting challenge. Well, you're saying that, but I watched you last night and you said this is probably the last show I ever did. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. I want to bring it. I, I want to keep going. It, yeah. It's, uh, I think we'll keep going. After last night's show, I walked away being, feeling like, yeah, we're not done yet, but we did. We, the, the title of the show last night was, Should We Keep Doing This? <laughs> we just asked the audience to call in and let us know. And most of them said yes, which was good. I would say like a good, like three out of every five said yes. So yeah. it's a pretty good hit rate, you know? Yes, yeah, sure. 60% of your own fans yes. like your show <laughs> but i think they also like the idea of now i know you know what to do with like you remember with punk rock that when the band would start to get too big the original fans would be like what? yeah turn their backs on yeah. them and i also i also think there's something really interesting like i don't know like we live in an age where like kids have twitter and i think a lot of the appeal for that is like They can watch Parks and Rec and then go and be like, hey, Aziz, like, good episode tonight, and actually get at him, and that's the theory behind it. So I like the idea that if I'm feeling a little burnt out, I can actually just say that and then ask them what they want me to do. Right. And it's like a really, like, trying to heighten that idea of, like, you're in control of it. You have all access. It's almost more like a video game where you're controlling me as the main character than anything else. Well, you know, another reason why I think you get these edgy kids is because you talk about stuff that you've done, you know, in your life or places yeah. that you've been, which I would think if I was a young kid and didn't feel like I was part of the norm, I'm sure I'd be like, not only is this show for me, but this guy understands exactly what I'm talking about. That's been real nice. Like to realize that people actually connect with it makes me feel like I remember when I used to go to punk shows as a kid and then the bands would play and like, you'd be in a church basement and they'd just get off stage and then they'd just be hanging out like everybody else. And that always meant a lot to me. And actually I remember, I feel like the thing that actually kind of hit me in the gut the most was that kid who got his head shaved by Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) He calls the show all the time. And at one, he, I want, he once said something to some friends of mine who on a podcast where they were like, why do you like the show so much? And he's like, well, I used to call it just to mess with Gethard because I was trying to prank it. And then I realized he would be like, play along. So then I started trying to be funny with my calls. And then I realized I was just talking to him. And he's like, it was a couple of years ago I started calling and I realized like my parents were going through a divorce. And it was like, this guy was the only adult who would actually like listen to me and have yeah. a conversation. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. That actually made me kind of get emotional. But that is the connection with the fans of like, if they want to call up and like do some dumb bit we can do that if they want to call up and get real we can do that there's no consequences there's no ratings no one's like 
No one in charge of public access even watches our show. We can't get kicked off. Like we would have to threaten to kill somebody or take our <laughs> genitals out right. in the studio. And then, and we're close all the time with both of those. Yeah, things. we have come. We have come very close. <laughs> yeah. But New York public it's all defined by obscenity law public yeah. access. So in Manhattan, there's almost yeah. none. There's almost no actual rules. It's pretty great. Well, who's the woman who's done that? Access show for you, Robin Bird. Robin Bird is number one question I get. Do you know Robin Bird? Yeah, yeah. And one time I saw her getting on a bus, and I'm really? like, that's like the coolest thing yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Most of the friends I know who grew up in Manhattan are like, yeah, the first time I discovered my body, Robin Bird. Robin that Bird seems to be like a rite of passage yeah. for New York preteens. Yeah, <laughs> and she's still doing it. Yeah, know? I'm happy to be in that proud tradition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you know. The thing is, uh, with Chris's career is he doesn't have to do this show. You do TV shows. You've got a fine stand-up career, improv career, and a writer. So yeah. this that you're doing, some people find themselves, you know, in a position where there's nothing else they can do. But you're really choosing to do this kind of show. Yeah, I put more energy into it than anything else. And it's it's something that was always unlikely and in the past four or five months has become definitely not going to work career-wise. Right. But I still love it more than anything. So it just feels like that's a pretty, I, I don't know, it feels like the thing I should keep doing. Although 12 different television networks have told me this will not be your job. Right. Ever. So I don't know why I think it's going to work out. Right. <laughs> They've told me 12 different times yeah. it's not going to work out. But I don't know. I just have a good feeling about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> the great thing is there are like 180 networks now, you know? know, like sooner or later. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I don't want to talk bad. Anybody who gave me an opportunity, that's great. Sure. Some of the networks that passed on us, I was like, Oh, oh, wow. Like when Comedy <laughs> Central passed on us, I was like, that's cool. That's fine. Yeah. And then, you know, like IFC, MTV, I'm like, great, fine. And then it's like, when Pivot is passing, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're up and comers. <laughs> They're up and comers. I respect them, but I would like, I would like to think they'd want me to be part of the team. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's okay. Like networks passed on us that aren't even carried on like Time Warner. The big, <laughs> like networks that aren't carried by the largest cable systems. We're like, we don't want you to be a piece of our small piece of the pie. Right. That was a little depressing. Even though it looks like you could produce the show for like a buck 380. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's nothing. I lose like 40 bucks a week on the show. <laughs> I don't even lose a respectable amount of money. I lose like a pathetic amount of money. Like yeah. $35 I spent on the show this week. It would be better if I spent like $1,000 a week on the show. Because uh -huh. then it would mean it was a good show. But instead it's like, no, for this bit I had to buy like... Two spools of fishing line and a dinosaur mask. Like, that's what I spent my 30 bucks on. Really, I don't know. It's Sometimes it messes with my self-esteem, but then other times I'm like, it's the greatest thing in the world. And when I go on the road as a stand-up, I get more and more people coming up to me who actually have seen the show. Right. And that makes me realize, like, there might be the potential to, like, build this thing that allows me to exist outside of the rules, and that's the most exciting thing in the world. Right. So I don't know. That's not likely, but it seems like there's potential there, and that would be the coolest. But you're going to have to wait until most of your fans are old enough to go into a real nightclub anyway. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like seven years from now, you could just walk into a place and they're going crazy. I hope so. That yeah. would be great. It's funny. I tour with uh, Mike Birbiglia a lot. Sure. He has me opening for him on his new tour.
tour. And he really early, he would like bring me out and we'd go to all these cities. And, you know, he's really huge, especially in the Midwest. And we do like the signing line afterwards. And everybody wants to talk to Mike. Nobody's really interested in me, but I get like four or five people a night coming up and saying they like the show. And he really quickly, after like the second or third date we did together, he was like, I can see your fans coming from a mile away, man. Like, <laughs> they like can't make eye contact. They like all have limps and stuff. Like, they're all like anybody who's like a real outcast. Yeah. I see them limping towards us and I know they're going right for you. And I'm like, yep, yep. Well, it is true. Like, with him, they'll walk up and be like, what merchandise do you have that I can buy? And with me, they'll be like, you saved me from killing myself. And I'm like, great, 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 great. Yeah. Cool. This is a weird career, but one I'm very proud of. Well, see, that's the thing, because real like nerd culture has kind of been taken over by yeah. Hollywood. It's when you look at Comic-Con now, they're not the outsiders. Well, you know? I, yeah, man. And like, you know, Chris Hardwick does Nerdist. And I, I respect him a lot. And I met him. He's a nice guy. I respect what he's built. I think he's hilarious. Many good qualities. But is he a nerd? Right. I don't know. Like him and Olivia Munn are, are nerd <laughs> icons these days. Like if yeah. they had a baby together, it would be the most attractive human being ever. It would right. not have the same childhood I had. <laughs> yeah. Being a nerd for that, for them is not what it was for me. So our fans, I've actually encouraged my fans to refer to themselves as losers instead of nerd. Just because I think it's more accurate these days. Yeah. But I do think there, I, I think there is truth to that. Like, I, I, like, I have like deformed elbows and hands and like a big head. Like, that's what being a nerd was when I was a kid. Yeah. And I don't want to be like, it's not a huge thing. Who cares? I'm still a privileged white guy. It doesn't matter, but it has been co-opted and kind of like that we've built a corner of the comedy world where those kids can hang out. Cause I think comedy in particular has gotten like hip over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's like a lot of comedians. Like, I'll go to festivals and like the comedians will be in like, the VIP section of clubs. And I'm like, I never, I didn't think this was what comedy was for. Right. So we could hang out and get bottle service. I thought it was so we could like make kids laugh who weren't cool enough to like know about good bands, you know, like that's what I thought it was for. So I like, I I still like those people. That's who I'm comfortable around because that's what I grew up as, you know? So I don't know. I don't want to. Was it, what was it like for you growing up? How? It was okay. I grew up in North Jersey in like a town that was like very divided class wise and racially. And it was kind of like, it was one of these places where like when I went to college, I went to Rutgers. It was 40 minutes away and I'd like tell stories about things that happened in my town growing up. And I would think they were funny stories. And then people would be like, this is one of the most messed up things I've ever heard, man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, all of that didn't need to happen? And then I just became filled with like rage and sadness for a couple of years. So, yeah, I definitely, I was like, it was a tough, there were some tough aspects to it. Kind of had to like learn how to be tough. And I was not obviously someone who was prone to toughness and definitely had, I had a lot of depression issues from early on too. So it's kind of like a sad kid in a tough town, which wasn't the best thing. And I look like this and my last name spells the words get hard. So <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, you know, yeah. there's a lot of <laughs> Yeah. Even the non witty kids feel like, hey, yeah, they there's had something a lot. I can grab. Yeah, yeah. They had they had there was a, I was like ducks in a barrel in a certain way, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So how at what age do you really think to yourself, Oh, it is going to be tougher than me than for some other kids? Well, I mean like the truth of it, the real honest I like to just be totally honest. Yeah. I don't want to depress everybody, but the real truth for me is that I have a brother who's um 
two and a half years older than me, so he's three grades ahead, and he got bullied bad, like mm-hmm. physically. Like he got bullied once to the point where like a bully broke his shoulder bone, like real bad stuff. Like, and I saw a lot of it firsthand. I saw him coming home, and then my mom would like go down to our school. And be like, hey, these kids like broke my kid's shoulder. And they'd be like, well, we can't get them in trouble because they have real bad home lives and they'll get hit at home and we don't want to be responsible for that. And my mom was like, so what? So what happens? And they were like, well, nothing. And she was like, my kid's getting beat up. So I was younger than that. And I was like, okay, I need to watch my back. And the second someone messes with me, I need to like fight them or scare them off. So I just like had a lot of like weird anger issues and real like, I had my guard up real right. high because of that. Cause I just saw my older brother get brutalized, you know, all through elementary, junior high, even into high school and then no consequences, no adults taking any responsibility for it. It was really crazy. You know, yeah. there's like one time in our high school where him and his best friend were walking down the hall and two kids, it's like elaborate bullying, like bizarre <laughs> levels of bullying. These two kids took an ACE bandage and ran up to them and <laughs> wrapped them in it. And then beat them. And then the school was just like, ah, tough break. You yeah, know what I right. mean? It's like, oh, cool. Well, I guess that, that really affected my personality. You know, yeah. that really affected a lot. I was angry. I was like really pissed off at the world for a lot of my childhood. And it took me years to unwrap that. And I think that's part of now why I'm like a very sort of like emo positive guy. Cause I think I spent a lot of time, um, furious. Yeah. You know, and I wish I didn't. And you don't want to go back there. It's because it still exists somewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. I work really hard to just like keep my emotions in check. And like the thing that does remain from it is I I react big to stuff. Like if I, if I'm in a situation that makes me happy, I get super happy. If I get in a situation that gets me angry, super angry. And a lot of that is just like you go through life seeing like, weird violence weird violence with no consequences and like that's the type of stuff i would talk about at Rutgers. like listen to this one these kids tied (laughs) my brother up with a bandage punched him in the head right and i'd be like laughing and they'd be looking at me like no 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 i was like oh oh okay my town was incredibly strange right twin peaks man well later you know they put together the sopranos so people know North Jersey is that way. Yeah, a lot yeah. of it took place in West Orange, my hometown. Christopher <laughs> Maltesanti lived there. And I would watch it, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this all seems normal. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the same diners you go to. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. The Versailles Diner, Route 46, baby. Well, I think that, you know, when you see the way you grew up and the things that you felt, and now you've built this community of outsiders, which, you know, puts people inside. All of a sudden. Yeah, it is. It's really important to me. I don't, it's like very cheesy to say, but it's like, it's hard because I do, I feel confident enough. Like I've done enough acting jobs and things like that that I'm like, I bet I could go do that. And I bet I could have a living. I bet I could like get weird. I could be like the weird computer hacker on CSI. You know what I mean? Like I bet I could do that or like have one scene in a movie every two years. You know, like I think I could do that, but I don't know that that would, connect with anybody like the stuff I'm doing now does. So it's like a very, very black and white choice between like stuff I love or a comfortable living. Right. Thus far, it's been... That's also responsibility when you're in the middle of that community. And, you know, that happened to Jerry Garcia where 
He turned around. He goes, if I walk away, this whole community gets rocked. Yeah. So what do I do? I definitely have a lot of fear or like, like the way that some people reach out and they're like, this thing makes me happy and not much else does. I'm like, that is a lot of responsibility. It's very nice, but it also kind of weighs on you. And then also I'm like, it is this community of people that they all know each other as well. Right. Because of social networking these days, like, like when I grew up, like, when we would find tapes of Andy Kaufman, yeah, to us that me and my brother, that was like, oh my god, here's this thing, and nobody else knows about it. Nobody else really knew about anything but Taxi, you know. But now these weirdos find our show, and they can all go on Tumblr and talk to each other and yeah. hang out and tweet at each other, and they become friends. And that to me is a really beautiful thing that well, I don't want to walk you know, away from. Imagine if you had that when you were a kid and you're angry and scared. If you found out, hey, there's another kid on the other side of the country. He's angry and scared, and we just met another kid. Yeah, that changes. I mean, I think we're, so. Yeah, I mean, we that that's a whole different lifestyle than we can even understand. Yeah, it's you know? really, I really envy it in a lot of ways. Although the internet does connect people like that, but it also has so many dark corners. Sure, that it's like also connects a lot of maniacs so yeah it has that side too but that's yeah, it a does and also the people thing. who go out and prey on those groups trolls that yeah. come into those kind of it's never i mean the bullying thing that they act like we've got to stop bullying yeah i just don't think they know where kids heads really are yeah you know yeah it's really it's a i, I feel like one thing that the show reminds me of like as an adult i don't really feel this anymore mm-hmm. but it reminds me that when you're a kid you forget that the world's not about you. Like we're all kind of like the heroes of our own story in our right. head. But when you're 16 and something bad happens, it feels like the end of the world. Right. So like these days when you hear these stories about like, Oh, like a girl sent a naked picture to a guy and he put it all over Facebook and everybody in the school knows about it. It's like, that's a huge deal on its surface. But then you remember to a 16 year old that feels yeah. like you're never going to bounce back nothing's ever going to change. Yeah. Like that's a level of bullying. That's like psychological to a degree that I never had to deal with, you know? Right. It's really no, no, it's true. And you would try to explain to them. No, look at Kim Kardashian. Not only does she bounce back, but it's good. But when you were young and everything is so raw, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, you're right. Uh, you know, it's like that song girls talk by Elvis Costello where, you know, they just made a joke about him and he was crushed. Yeah. You know, you can't imagine that kind of stuff. So here you are, that lifeline for that, but also the responsibility that comes yeah. along with it. Yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, I just want to be funny. I don't know. Right. I don't know if I want to keep uh, keep people alive. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up for improv classes, and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is fun, and now all of a sudden I'm here. You know, right. like, it's definitely strange some days, but on most days I'm super grateful for it and, and proud of it. Improv was the lifeline for you too, right? Yeah, that was huge for me. I was I went to Rutgers, and like I said, like a lot of that anger from how I grew up was really coming to the surface. And it, as I realized that it hadn't been a normal way to grow up, I think it made it actually made me even angrier because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's so many experiences I had that I didn't need to have. It's not right, and uh, really went into a shell. Was not feeling good for a long time, for years, and then. When I was 19, I found the UCB theater and I started doing improv there and it was small back then. It was like nobody had ever gotten jobs out of it. Now it's a big institution. Back then it was like, I remember when, um, Andy Daly, who's a great comedic actor, he got 
cast on Mad TV and they shut the theater down for the night and threw a party. I'm like, now if they threw a party every time someone got a job, the theater sure. would be closed seven nights a week. You know, it's such a successful place. But I showed up there and I was this kid and I was like shy and, and scared, this angry kid. And I was funny though. And it was the first place I ever went in my life where it was like, that's what mattered. It was a meritocracy. It was like, mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't matter that you're 19 and weird and have like a shitty ball haircut. Part of my French. It was like, you're funny. So like, come hang out with these like 30 year olds who just respect you because it's all about being funny. That's yeah. what it's about. And it just even the playing field in a way that was like really a lifesaver for me. Well, you know that the the real difference in that background is so many stand-ups have come on here and talked about jealousy and fighting and if their friend gets something, how hurtful it makes them. But the UCB people are just really like so much into their friends yeah. rising that it's oddly shocking. And I don't... Where did that come from? Did, did that come from the original members? Yeah, or? I think the founders of it were just always so delighted when someone could come out of their theater and make a living out of it. I think they came, they came up in Chicago and I think they knew how hard it was. Mm -hmm. So when they built their theater and other people could use that to actually build a living, I think that was just so exciting for them and that energy infected the whole early wave of us. And, uh, it's definitely cool to see it happen. It's also, you know, like, I think there's still some elements of that. There are only so many jobs that go around, but I think stand-up is more cutthroat. I also think improv by its nature, you can't do it on your own. Mm -hmm. and you have to have someone else there who you're getting along with. So, you know, those are people you build a bond with where you live or die on stage together. It's not about who's the funniest. It's about can we all make it through this without looking like idiots, you know? So, But it's definitely hard. Like, I was in an improv group where while I was in the group, my two best friends got cast on The Office and Saturday Night Live, and I was thrilled for them, but it also has that moment of just like, okay, okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great. No, I'm so psyched, and I genuinely am yeah. so psyched. Am I terrified as well? A little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit, but I'm thrilled. It's cool. Can you get me tickets? Awesome. That's right. great, you know? <laughs> That's cool, too. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a strange thing to be around as that place really blew up. Really strange. And and now, like you said, it's an institution where, yeah. you know, people come now come from all over yeah. to take those classes. Yeah, it's really it's really like there's like thousands of students. It's not yeah. it's really insane. It's like mind boggling yeah. how big it's gotten. And you started getting your own nights there and doing weird. Yeah, stuff. I became like um, I like started there as an improviser. Started doing some solo storytelling stuff, but then I started staging these weird events. Like I did a show on a bus where we went to New Jersey and I tell stories from my life in the places <laughs> where they happened. And we did a show where if you weren't funny, the, you could, you got shot by a paintball gun on stage. <laughs> and that kind of built into like this reputation where people started calling those like, Oh, that's kind of like a Gethard show, which was just like anytime someone did something that was kind of like emotionally ill-advised or physically violent. That was like kind of like my scene. And then they eventually just gave me a show where they're like, just go do all your weird stuff one Saturday a month. And that kind of blew up and that became the Gethard show. And then we switched it to public access a couple years after that. Yeah. Uh, you wrote really recently about one night that you were up on stage and somebody walked in. Yeah. Robin Williams showed up one night. It yeah. was really, it was so um, cool. I met him two or three times. But he just showed up unannounced one night at the UCB theater to do an improv show. And it was really like, it's rare that you meet someone 
who fulfills all your expectations of what you want them to be. Like mm -hmm. he was just the sweetest, nicest and funniest guy there was. And it was just like such a really, um, just like a really great night to be able to perform with a guy who was like legitimately one of my heroes growing up. And, um, he was there and he was like sweet and shy and kind of like got, uncomfortable with there being booze in the cooler in the green room and we had to kind of get that out of there and he was so like shy and quiet but then on stage it was like being on stage with a tornado it was really like i haven't really experienced anything like that ever, before or since and uh it was really uh i'm glad that i get to say i was on stage with him yeah and as the years go by it's just going to seem crazier to, you know you'll tell your grandchildren that yeah. someday and it'll, it'll be like I don't know. I I had tea with Abraham Lincoln. It's going to sound nuts. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's going to sound crazy. Yeah. But, but you as a performer, which is the real Robin Williams, the guy that was shy backstage or the tornado on stage? I mean, I'd have to imagine that the guy backstage is choosing to tap into that guy on stage for yeah. reasons. I have to think that the backstage, in my experience, the backstage comedians is closer to the real yeah. comedian. You know. I feel like a lot of, a lot of performers in my experience, especially the ones that like go manic on stage and like can't stop themselves and have to unleash on the audience and like need it and kind of yeah. like where it feels like this, like they're feeding something in themselves. Like a lot of those guys, I think it's what happens off stage that makes them have to do that on stage. So yeah, you made me think of Farley when you were even explaining that. Yeah. Know, that he was so. And, and, you know, we could go through the, you know, the list, but I think which is interesting is that off stage, you and Robin had somewhat of the same personality and probably same kind of fears from being a kid, but you bring that guy on stage. Yeah. And that's really well, for rare. Me, for me, that was just like not really an option after a certain point. Like I grew up, I, like I said, I started in New York when I was 19 mm -hmm. and I was still sorting my head out. So I was on stage multiple times a week, every week from when I was a teenager. So for me, like as I started going to therapy and I started like actually figuring out my head, I didn't really have any other way to explore it than to talk about it on stage. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, that was a really scary thing to start like saying in front of an audience, like, Hey, like, especially back in the day and like the early two thousands, like to go on antidepressants, first of all, was like, people were like, Oh, you are you're broken. Like you got judged mm -hmm. a lot harder for it 10 years ago than you do now. But also to go like, to go on stage and be like, Hey, like I might not have a good show tonight. Cause I got put on this crazy antipsychotic that <laughs> makes me have weird blackouts. So if I get weird, <laughs> yeah. it's cause I'm blacking out because right. I'm on a weird antipsychotic medication. <laughs> like I just didn't know any better as a kid. I didn't know what to do except tell the audience that. So I kind of had to live it out publicly just because I didn't, the only place I felt good was on stage. Yeah. So that's where I had to deal with it. So it was a very strange path to walk, but I don't know. It got me where I am today. So I guess that's okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but you know, the weird thing is everybody, no one likes to die on stage, but when you're that open and honest and you're not connecting, that's got to be the worst kind of death. It, yeah. Yeah. I, it is like when, especially. It, more so as a stand-up. I primarily just do stand-up now. I haven't been mm -hmm. as... I feel like improv will always be my foundation. It'll always The UCB will always be my home. But I really, the past couple years in particular, I've just time-wise only done stand-up. I've been really obsessed with it. 
And uh, bombing in stand-up is way harder than bombing in improv because, you know, you have other people that you can go backstage and sulk with with improv. But, like, especially if I'm up there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to talk about this really vulnerable moment in my life. I think I can make it funny. And then you get up there and people are like, not just, like, not into it, but bored, like, bored by here. Like, I'm going to bare my soul tonight. I'm really going to try to, like, tap into something and yeah. be an artist. And you can, like, hear them ordering their drinks. Like, <laughs> that is brutal. But it's okay. <laughs> it's all right, you know? Like, I definitely, I am pretty, like, I have my material that works, and I can pretty quickly sense, like, okay, they're not... They're not down for me to go all emo tonight. Let me just get back to the stuff that right. I know will hit them. So I tend to build material very, very slowly because of that. Um, because I just have to go up again and again and again and again, which everybody does. Yeah. But for me, like most of the stuff that I like the most is very personal. And especially at like a two drink minimum club, they're not having that. Yeah. They are, they're yeah. not into that. Yeah. They've got their own rough <laughs> week. And, and they're like, some guy in Times Square told me to come here. I didn't know it was $30. I didn't know the drinks were $12 each. I came with a date. This cost me $140 on the night. Make me laugh right now. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want to hear about how it, how hard it was growing up white in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like, we're not interested. We're not yeah. interested in your problems, you know? Make us laugh, so... How do, how does that material differ from the stuff that you write, like in your books and stuff? Like how, when you're doing stand-up with those same kind of stories? Well, stand-up to me, I started, because I started telling real long sprawling stories, not at stand-up shows, more at UCB, more at like alternative shows around town, which are like non-stand-up clubs that the audiences are generally like a little more relaxed, a little more artsy, and they'll go with you. And then I had a lot of stand-up friends who started inviting me to do their shows, and I would just bomb, because I didn't know how to do punchlines. And then there were a few comics that I saw who really split the difference. Mike Birbiglia being one of them, mm -hmm. John Mulaney being another one, where it's like, they're telling these long stories, but you can feel it out. Like, there's the punchline, there's the punchline, there's the punchline, there's the punchline. So that became a very addictive thing to me, to figure out, like, what's the longest story I can tell where the punchline ratio will carry them through it. Like, can I do a whole 15 minute set in a club that's one story? And will they go with that? Even though the comic before me and the comic after me told, you know, 50 jokes in the same amount of time. So for me, that was a real challenge and really addictive. And I'm happy that I've like started to figure it out. I think I've figured it out pretty well and hopefully I'll just keep getting better. So it's definitely hard and a real mental exercise, but a good one. And when it does, on my best nights as a stand-up, they'll laugh because there's enough punchlines, but then they'll also come up to me after the show and maybe feel like they know me a little bit more than a guy who just does, right. like, set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline. Sure. Then they feel connected to you, and then they can email you that they're ready to kill yourself, <laughs> yeah. and it'll be yeah. your responsibility yeah. to they take care They find me public yeah. email address I put on my website <laughs> like an idiot, and then I stay up till 2.30 in the morning <laughs> trying to figure out how to answer and crying because the people who like me are damaged human beings <laughs> who I'm very protective of yeah you're protective of and really you're you know drawing more in all the time i hope so yeah i hope so we'll see well you know i i brought up robin and there was two things that came out that really uh in the same week with you one where you told that story about robin williams which i thought you know just from the term of writing and and for us that 
you know, thought so much of him that you could really connect. That was the guy. I think a lot of us wanted that experience you have of meeting the yeah. two Robins. And then the other piece that you did about depression and you showed that picture of you of yeah. how you get sometimes. I took a picture of myself while I was having like a panic attack, like a meltdown. That was hard to put up there. Yeah. But I felt, I don't know, I have all these kids who kind of look to me for that. And I just wanted to, it's so sad to me how often these kids who talk to me will say, like, I tried to talk to my parents and they told me to get tougher. Or like, I right. wanted to go see a doctor and my parents convinced me that that was like a faux pas or that I should be ashamed of that. And I just feel like it's so dumb to like it it's the idea that you have to be ashamed cuz you're sick is really just off to me and I felt it for so long all the excuses you know just like I should be tougher I don't really have any problems in my life like it's not I'm not going to be as creative and then I went on medicine and I was like happier and more relaxed and people liked me more because I could have a normal conversation and I was able to be more creative because I could like focus and be organized and see ideas through to fruition. And it was just such a, I look back with such regret over like, just thought I was going to disappoint everybody and I knew I was going to be judged and all that was true, but none of that was more important than being healthy. So I just wanted to put that picture out there in a time where, you know, I think there's a lot of statistics that when a famous person kills themselves, a lot of other people who are maybe on the edge sure. will pull the trigger, you know, both metaphorically and literally depending on their style of choice. And, uh, some people wanted to laugh there, but didn't. <laughs> um, I heard, they were like, that's, I heard, uh, you heard like, <laughs> that's, uh, inappropriate. Did you hear, you yeah. heard a lot of people yeah. exhale through right. their nose because yeah. they didn't want to well, laugh. Well, they, like, they wanted to be the second person who laughed. <laughs> exactly. A lot of you were waiting for someone else to break the seal. But yeah, like, I don't know. There's nothing to be ashamed of, man. I don't get it. I don't get it. We all know it's a problem. Yeah. You see, like, I was amazed to read, like, as I kind of like became a guy who spoke out about this stuff sort of by accident it wasn't anything mm. i set out to do it's just by interacting with these fans and then you know like i get more into it you read st statistics where it's like suicide's the second leading cause of death in college students and that's like whoa like right. really that's nuts that's nuts but i remember what it was like to be 20 years old and feel like i can't go get help because that means something's wrong with me suck it up and then, you know, so to me, I'm like, well, I'm real messed up. I still sometimes have days where I can't get out of bed. Just last week, I had a day where I, I was spent the whole day all manic and then crying all night, you know? So, like, that happens. That's something that is just a reality in my life. I'm okay with it. Let's put a picture. Maybe if some kid sees that picture and he's like, oh, I've seen that in myself, he'll feel like there's at least somebody out there who will talk about it, you know? The real, I'll tell you what the real sad thing to me is, is that I'm like, an underground dude. I have a cult yeah. following, but I am largely a nobody and I'm the first to admit that. And I'm really amazed how many people who email me are like, you're the first person who I've heard talk about this, or you're the first person. I'm like people, first of all, people in their real lives should be talking about this. I'm sure there's other people in their actual lives who aren't the host of a dumb public access TV show. They could be talking to, but also there's a lot of people, there's a lot of celebrities who we all know the stories, who you don't hear about them dealing with this stuff until something tragic happens. And I feel like if I can, if I can do a reasonable amount of good, it's a shame to me that 
publicists are probably telling other people to not speak out because they'll damage their brand and they could be doing a ton of good. That to me is the saddest thing in the world, you know? Well, you know, I also think this thing of like most of us know the word depression and we have to, you know, we go to dark places and we have to snap out of it. But I don't think we know what it's like to be stuck in bed for two days. Yeah. Crying straight. But we think if someone says I'm depressed and you're like, hey, you ought to go to a ball game. You know, yeah. you just say the worst, stupidest thing. Yeah. For people. Yeah. People be like, yeah. you'll, you'll bounce back. And yeah. it's like, will I? Because my life has felt like hell for two straight weeks and I don't know what to do. Nothing yeah. makes me happy. Things that I know should make me happy aren't. Yeah. When is this going to stop? And like, it's really, uh, it's really, that's why one of the things that gets me really, really angry is that whenever someone kills themselves, you'll hear people start saying, oh, it's the coward's way out. And it's like, it's, I don't think that's true. I think that's actually such a demeaning thing to say because you're dealing with people who their lives become so scared and so driven by fear and sadness that they don't know what to do except to do to overcome every human yeah. instinct and not be alive anymore like to say that the coward is just so brutal just so brutal like it's it, let's not it's just, it's the only way you can die where you get like judged immediately it's yeah. the only way you know that or flown in front of a train those yeah. are the two yeah. like how stupid <laughs> yeah texting but, yeah <laughs> dying while texting uh, that's yeah. the other way those people you're like i would never but you know uh, i you know when you think about uh, and i'm going to go back to robin cuz it, it, it still hasn't left me yeah and he had everything that we would think is the american dream he had talent he had success he was admired he was famous he had money and none of those things seem to work at that really dark time. Yeah. And that is something that I think would scare everyone. So maybe you have to say, well, what a coward or what an ass, because you, you, you're afraid of the human aspect of that. Of what if I feel that one day? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think the fact that he, uh, the thing that uh, you want to hear the most heartbreaking thing yeah. in the world, this was the, you know, like I wrote that thing and it kind of went all over the internet and a lot of people were saying nice stuff and um I was proud of that. And then my mom called me and she was like, uh she said two things that were like, a t- it was like a combo of heartbreak <laughs> where she was like, it's just so sad to think that a guy who made everybody else that happy was that sad. Like that just kills me. She was like, that kills me to know like, he was that sad, that guy. Mm-hmm. And then she paused and went, makes me worry about you, too. And I was just like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. What am I? What have I done? I've made my whole public persona a thing that just scares my mom. Right, yeah. Great. You're great. You're having cool. a good show and that just making her more nervous. Uh-oh. Yeah. He's yeah. killing. I'm so worried now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know what I'll say to you? Like, I talk about this stuff so much and like, it's very emo. But one thing I also say is like, for me at this point, I still get depressed but i'm happy to say that at the age of 34 it's almost like having a cold it's like 
that thing, you know, like when you get a cold and you're just like, oh, when is this going to go away? Yeah. And then you just go about your day and it's like, so oh. So no, nothing causes these episodes. You're not... Generally, no. You know, the the Comedy Central thing didn't set you off. I it, was pretty okay about that, surprisingly. Yeah. My, my fiance was like, I was expecting you to flip out. She's like, I right. was expecting to come home and find you curled up in the corner crying. And I was like, cool, I love you too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That I was that I was pretty tough with. Boy, you know? just just you were saying that I'm thinking, what did she sign up for? Yeah, you know, right? wow. <laughs> and I'm Ooh. telling you, she is like so cool, beautiful. This is my friend, my friend's Alex and Serena, out of my league, right? Very much so. One, yeah. a, a friend of mine, just without hesitation, was like, <laughs> yeah. "Your fiance, out of your league. She's a professional dancer, beautiful, so cool. Yeah, friends with everybody." I have no idea why she's doing this. I have no idea why she's marrying yeah. me. I'm funny. I got that. Right. I make her laugh. Outside of that, I'm like, why? I've tried to tell her. I'm like, yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> she won't listen, man. She insists on getting married to me. That's um, that's the exact opposite of a love letter. Would you uh, get away from me? Run. Yeah. Run. Yeah. But, you know, I've always said this, that you can only judge Men by the women who fall in love with them. Yeah. Or men, because we're in that, you know, era now, and I want to put Fezzes here. So I want to point that out. Um, but, but it is, she sees something of you that, because she hasn't been trained like you to see all the bad things. Yeah, it's weird. Know? Like, for a guy with low self-esteem, I'll tell you, like, she, it really is like, she is the first person, like, I'll like do a lot of self-deprecating stuff. Right. And then it hits a point where it's clearly driven by like actual feelings towards myself. <laughs> and she like started doing this thing where she'd be like, don't say that about my fiance. Right. And I was like, Oh, that's love. All right. Nice. I've really only exclusively dated people who don't like or respect me prior to this. Right. So yeah. What a welcome change of pace. Yeah. I almost exclusively, my type was generally people who were mean to me. That was my type before her. <laughs> it's true. You know, it's totally true. But see, here's, here's what you need. And you're getting married when? Next Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I think... You should not write your own wedding vows. I think that would be a nice gift to her. You don't think so? No. You kind of see the thing. You see the direction I'm thinking yes. for. Yes. Yeah. I'm terrified that she'll go, you're right. Or maybe her dad will jump up and grab her. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. But she could, I mean, like, she yeah. could, if she wanted to go marry a millionaire, she could do that. Well, Instead, maybe. she's signing up for a life of very low income. Very well, low income. You were just one break away, dude. Just one break yeah, but away. I've been hearing that for like eight years, man. Yeah. I've been hearing I'm the next big thing from UCB for like eight years. Yeah. And now there's people who like I taught in their classes yeah. who are like killing it. Yeah. And I'm like, I might not, I might not be the neck. I might not. That's well, fine. Well, I might be like the first guy from UCB to just totally whiff. That's okay. Do you, do you know how long it took Henry Ford to get rich? Three months. So, oh shit. Wait, that's not the, that's not the best idea. Wow. You, seriously. <laughs> you, you really were hoping you'd hear something. Yeah, I, thought, helpful. I was hoping you were saying longer yeah. than the 14 years I've been doing comedy. No. Wow. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm behind the curve. No. But I, you're doing something. You refuse to be part of 
that mainstream that is and you're building an audience where one didn't exist that is where i drive myself nuts yeah. where i'll be like oh i don't make any money and then it's like well you do a public access tv you i do it yeah i sign up to do this stuff and like i refuse to move to los angeles and then i'm like oh i don't know why i haven't broken out and it's yeah. like because you chose to do a medium you chose to do public access a medium that is Everyone just like laughs at and rolls their eyes. Of course, of course. Yeah, you're not going to be a millionaire, man, if you want to do public access. Like, I'm like, even I am like, yeah, I understand the math on that doesn't work out, but I still complain about it. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I will give you a, a role model who has nothing to do with you, and that's Tyler Perry went out and found like church ladies, yeah. brought that comedy to them, and now they go to movies and it, his movies. But no one else's, and you know it grows and grows, and he's running his own scene, and it's amazing. Some other guys who actually really admire, without irony, yeah. don't listen to their music. The insane clown posse, right? Like, how are they pulling that off? Yeah, they managed. <laughs> they managed to find an audience. Yeah, that they they wanted. They found. They cornered the market on people who are willing to dress up as evil clowns. Right, that's a market that they found out about. And and now, I mean, they took that so far that the FBI recognizes them as organized crime. Yeah, they went that far. They started as yeah. clown rappers who are now the mafia. <laughs> yeah, right. It's really nuts. Yeah, it's only in America, I guess. Yeah. Is, uh, like they, if those guys can convince people to wear like hockey jerseys and spray fago on each other, yeah. My show is not that inaccessible. I, I think your show is the, the exact opposite. Thank of you. Inaccessible. I think Thanks. when you watch that show, you really get the feeling that everyone is invited. And I really think that you've got to, you know, again, this isn't comedy, but Andy Warhol did the same thing. And he started to say, these are superstars and this is a superstar until finally the media started to believe him. You know, and you have stars in your audience that come yeah. up. I mean, the human fish is not going to make it anywhere else. But with no, you, I, he I, feels like I'm like, there he is. There's the human fish. But he is a very, very talented improv guy. Yeah. And that, that one, one of the things that get, that makes me actually feel best about my show is that I do really feel like. I'm like, man, we came so close. Like, we were really this close to getting on Comedy Central. We could all feel it, man. Like, they were at our taping. I mean, we did our, we taped our pilot. A girl came from Brazil. People came from Honolulu, from Canada, to watch this thing that's a public access thing. And all the Comedy, exec uh, Comedy Central executives were there. And they were like, whoa, this is something... This is different, man. Like, right. This is crazy, you know? So we were that close and we ultimately, it looks like we, uh, we missed and that's okay. But one of the things that I'm happiest about when you say like there's stars is like, I'm pretty certain that a lot of the comedians who came through New York and worked on my show or did bits on my show, they're going to be the ones in the next four or five years that you really start to hear about. I right. really feel that. I really feel like we were a home for a lot of the most talented people in New York during our era. And that is such a cool thing. Like I, right. I have a feel like one of our guys was just at the Emmys cause he got hired to write at key and peel. Now he didn't get hired cause they saw him on the Gethard show, but right. like he was a guy in New York who was doing that. You know, like there was a guy who's doing bits on our show for a long time. He's writing for Seth Meyers now. And like makes me feel good that a lot of the most talented people flock to our show and found a home there. And I think the legacy of it over time will only grow because of that. Yeah, it's, you know, CBGBs. In all honesty, 
if this was the 1970s, you know, the talking heads would come in and do your show. Television would do your show. Yeah. And a lot of people would go, I don't get it. And then it, you know, it's a yeah. tipping point. So if that's explodes. Like, I do feel good about that. I feel like worst case scenario is I'm some guy who no one will really know. But then as time grows, they might realize like, oh, that guy influenced a lot of the other people that I do like. You know, right. like, that's the worst case scenario. I mean, the wor- I will know. <laughs> like the worst case scenario is like I eventually succumb to my depression, hang myself, and then legions of my fans are like, he was, yes, we will follow you into the abyss. Like worst case scenario is I leave a tidal wave of copycat suicides. <laughs> Do you know that I was this close to ending this interview on a high note? I was... So close that we were all going to go out feeling good until the death march took place. Right? I'm being told we can edit that. Good, good. Let's be honest. Yeah. If I got hit by a bus today, yeah. best thing that ever happened for my career, I'd be a right. legend. I'd be a legend. Yeah. I would. It would be legendary. <laughs> Everybody would be like, I got to download that, that show, man. Yeah. It would make the show 10 times cooler than anyone's ever thought of it. <laughs> it's true, man. Yeah. But at the same... <laughs> but I do like this. This is my shtick, that at the beginning, no one was comfortable with me saying this, and now right. they all think my death is hilarious. Well, yeah. You're going to make it okay for everybody. Yeah. yeah. But the but the, but the the reality of, the, of it is, and I, and I am serious about this, is it is a somewhat scary world, and I think it is the purpose of art to reach out and touch people. And you're able to do that with comedy, and I can't say that for all comedians. And you, you found Thank a way you. to do that. That is like, that is the thing I always remind myself of: is there's a purpose to this that I didn't necessarily sign up for, but that is better than being the sidekick on a sitcom. It just is. Yeah, I just well, I feel better about this. So that means so much that you said that. Thank well, you. Well, I'm also, you know, and the other part of this, and and your fiance knows it, and your audience knows it, but you're a really good dude too. Thank and, you. Uh, I do and my And that's best. important. And I think, and I'm going to make this prediction, is this going to get bigger and bigger? Thank you so much for coming. Thank here, you. Chris. This is so fun. This is Thank really, you. really great. Chris Gaffer. Thank you. Sorry it got so sad. No, Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hits. Channel 99. what I'm doing when I'm driving home tonight. I normally don't get to hear uh, the commercials, but today I did. Yeah. Chris, you turned it up for me. What was it called? Drive Home Radio? Drive Home on Comedy Central Radio. It's stuff to listen to when you drive home. Yeah, you get off work, you jump yeah. in the car, you drive home with a little bit of stand-up on Comedy Central Radio. In my car, I just sit in silence and I cry. I just let it go. Jesus. I just and I sometimes I'll pound the dashboard and go, "How did I get here? How did this happen? How did I get here?" My dreams, Chris. I never got. I never did the thing that I always wanted to do. What's that? Kill you with a blunt instrument. Jesus. That's 
my yeah. dream. I don't. Now, we, here's the weirdness of our lives. We all just listened to Chris Gethard on, on Unmasked. While we were doing that, we were doing an Unmasked with Bill Hader. Mindfuck. Two places at the same time. Yeah. Traveling through time and space. Aren't we always traveling through time and space, no matter who we are? I guess. But that was just like If you really... see a, a toddler walking, you're like, that. That there's a being traveling through time and space. Not... One second per second. There not... they go. <laughs> I'm not that impressed by one second by second, though. Then, then you are never going to get life. <laughs> then life will never impress you. In other words, you spit in the face of God. If he exists. That's the second spit. <laughs> That's almost a loogie. Oh, yeah. You're, drool. A, you're an atheist, then. Agnostic? Mm. Agnostic is the way Chinese people say atheist, because they're confused. They're not confused with Chinese, though. They speak that fluently. It's impressive. Yeah. Every time you hear a Chinese person talking, I'm like, I don't know how you're doing it, dude. It's fucking amazing, though. They don't even have, like, their letters are just crazy symbols. It doesn't, it freaks me out. Easy with the term crazy. Oh, okay. uh, We live in a, uh, you know, a post-PC world, and there are people out there struggling with mental illness, and they hear you just throw crazy out as a negative thing, and they start, and they start to cough, and not be able to handle it, and get moved to the couch. See, I didn't realize that. I didn't know yes. all that was going on. As we're talking, I didn't realize all that was going on. All yes. right, so then you're opening you're my eyes. laughing here. This <laughs> is a laugh-free zone. It's fine. All right, it is the Ron and Fed Show. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. That's the show. This is the way that it works. We're going to be giving out a prize with a brand new contest. And what's the name of that contest? Where am I? Where am I? The Chris Stanley story. Uh, so give us a call. We'll play that in a moment. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Call in and win a big prize from us. Now, we have these prizes, and they're signed by stars. And, Chris, you told me that you watched the football game with a star last night. I, I watched last night downtown Manhattan with a big star. I watched the Colts. Eagles game. The Colts. The Colts. What, what, what's that? What the 80s band? <laughs> it's a cult. That's There's what like, I said. I said cult. The cult. A cult is something you run off to join with Charlie Manson and fucking Squeaky from. They sound exact. I know they're spelled differently, but they sound exactly the same. If a horse gave birth to a cult, Christians would rise up and say, this is the sign we were looking for. Oh, you're stupid. So anyway. Not stupid. It sounds the same. The cult, I'm not cult. saying you're stupid. Oh. I'm saying everything you say is stupid. Oh, and your thoughts are stupid. You just said I'm stupid then. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I said your actions are stupid. <laughs> your actions are the actions of an idiot. I'm a moron. responsible for my actions, so you're calling me stupid. Right? I don't even know where you get that from. Anyway, you watch, uh, you went to a cult with a big star. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's unlike you to go out on a, a Monday night to a, to a dining uh, place. And yeah. It was, it was, it was a spur of a moment. I had a hankering for some crab. Now, who, did you go with a friend? I went with my buddy, yeah. Okay, I'm not saying that you're gay. <laughs> you and your buddy went out. To bo yeah. Both of you said, yeah. um, what are you in the mood for tonight? It's football, right? Let's eat crab. Yeah. Okay. Love so crab. you went there, and then you decided we'll spend the whole night watching football. Yeah. And you watched with a big star. Yeah, big star. 
Is a big star a person who is tied in with football themselves? No. Is the big star from the city of Philadelphia? Yes. And everybody knows this big star. Everybody, it's Philadelphia's favorite son. One of the favorite sons of Philadelphia. Because you know who Philadelphia's favorite son is, and they're not even from Philly. <laughs> they're a fictional boxer. <laughs> no. Did one of these people that you watched the game with sing a song called Sarah Smile? No. We're but, getting very low on Philadelphia celebrities. But you're heading in the right direction with that last question. So it was Oats? <laughs> Were they the backup singer? No, no, but the, that area, they are, yeah. That area, the area is already Philadelphia or Delaware Valley. The area of profession. Are they a singer? They're a musician. They're, oh, one of the roots. You're with Questlove. <laughs> yeah, I was with Questlove. Now, no. by the way, Questlove is the only root that everybody knows the name of. <laughs> Yeah, and he was loving him some crab last night. Oh, that's racist. I'm the way I'm that you just fucking deliver that made me uncomfortable. Wow, I was, I was enjoying <laughs> crab, too. He, I know, you were enjoying crab. He was loving him some crab. Just say it normally. God. Questlove and I were enjoying crab. Together? Next to each other. He was on the table over. Bum, 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 it was very bum. exciting. I was like, oh shit, there's Questlove. So he must have been freaking over the Eagles game. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he was he was up and down, up and down. But then, uh, you know. It was an up and down game. Now, yeah. here's the thing. The first half last night, I'm screaming at my TV, you're a doomed team. You're the worst team. You hurt me, and you've always hurt me. And then I get up this morning, and ESPN is telling me, well, it's a lock. The Eagles will win the Super Bowl. <laughs> they had to kick. A field goal against a team who we have no idea yet yeah. if they're any good. Because um, the, uh, the Colts, yeah, uh, are they 0-2 now? Yes. All right, so they've beaten two teams that haven't won yet, and yet ESPN said, lock it, it's over. There's no one in the history of the world that will ever beat the Eagles. They overreact a lot. I mean, their backup Running back Darren Sproles is now outperforming LaShawn McCoy. The, Sproles is the greatest person ever. I wish we wouldn't talk about it too much because it's inviting a jinx. I and ESPN. And by the way, your quest love thing, I mean, yeah. the fact that he works across the street, it really. <laughs> It lowers this. Oh, come on. Questlove's great. You wouldn't be happy Questlove came in the place you're eating? I would be more excited if Mr. Frankie Avalon came in because you don't see him around town. And he's a Philadelphia icon. Love Questlove. I was very happy Then you don't like Frankie Avalon? Then you need to listen to a song called Venus. You love music, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm... I'm still working on my stuff with uh, as a songwriter. Uh, every Friday, I get together with my band. We practice from five to five thirty, right. and it's probably not enough time to practice. It's actually an inside joke because that's when Tidal Wave practices every week from <laughs> five to five thirty. And by the way, Tidal Wave has made an announcement. Um, we're just playing original music. We don't want to play covers. We're nine. Enough of being redundant. We're ready to break out and play hard punk rock for the world. I'm going to miss that Green Day sound. The sound is still there because, <laughs> you know, they're all really. And I would like to, you know, I'm working on my songwriting. I just, I don't have people around me who are supportive oh. of that. 
You know what I mean? I need supportive friends. That's what I need. I can, I can help support you. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of my stuff sounds like Neil Young, and you know what I mean? Like, I just don't want to hear that at this early part. You know? Yeah. I want support around me. What's it sound like? What's, like, what's your stuff sound like? It's like singer-songwriter. I mean, it's gentle. It's touching of the soul. It's my soul to the listener's soul, okay? It, I guess the best way to describe it is it sounds like a kiss, you know? I guess it sounds like first love on a summer morning, you know? Wow. And it's not the stuff I'm even comfortable sharing right now. Could, could we could hear some of it? I'm just going to do a little bit for you, right. okay? Okay. <clears throat> but don't attack me for it or anything like that, okay? Now, let's, let's, let's be open. All right. <clears throat> Is this water? Yeah. It's Hydrogen and oxygen? H2O. Is it two in the H or two in the O's? Two in the O's? That's weird. You would have thought the two would have been, then it would have been HO2. Yeah. Not very good at chemistry. Yeah. Or music. But I hope you like this. Okay. Chris Stanley locks a sock on your dick and he'll lick your balls too. Chris Stanley will suck everyone's dick. Blacks, Spanish, and Jews, he wants to suck your dick. Chris Stanley licks your balls too. He really likes to suck dick. Line up, you blacks and Jews. Um, so, I mean, I think you see where I'm coming from. I, I don't at all. I hate that song. I mean, is it a hit? No, it is definitely not a hit. It um, That song sucks, in my opinion. He wants to suck your dick. No, I don't. Please just stand and line up. Not sucking anybody's dicks. Contrary to what that song is saying. Could you help me with one part, though? Oh, okay, sure. What rhymes with jizz mouth? <laughs> I was uh, thinking his mouth. Yeah. It's nothing but a jizz mouth. I don't, don't even worry about it. Just, you shouldn't even fucking be putting the song out there. So you like it or don't I, like I it? hate that song. It's talking about me sucking all sorts of rainbow coalition of dicks. Uh, okay, so you don't... No, I don't like it at all. I wish you wouldn't have even sung it in the first place. You're coming off sounding a tad homophobic, my friend. Okay? I, I'm not homophobic. This is a post-Dallas Buyers Club world that we live in. We have Rick Rubin on the hotline. He says that's just the sound he's looking for. Are you fucking serious? Hold on. Ron and <laughs> There's no one on the hotline. Must have hung Once up. again, jokes at my expense. <laughs> That's all I fucking needed. Thank God he wasn't on the line. I would love to get a call from Rick Rubin because you know what that would mean? What's that? This baby is going to go. Maybe in platinum. But I thank God because that I don't want this song out there. But did you like it? No, I hated do, it. Do you, it. Is it because it sounds too much like Neil Young? <laughs> uh, no, it, the reason was it talks about Chris Stanley sucking dicks. That's why, that's why I don't want the song out there. I mean, that's part of what the song is. a metaphor. <laughs> For what? You, you putting a penis in your mouth. That, that's literal. It's not a metaphor. I disagree. Okay? I, so do I. Jesus Christ. You know what bothers me? This is my fucking nightmare, being judged. That's the part that hurts. I shouldn't have been the person you saying the Chris Stanley sucks dick songs to, because I'm Chris Stanley. Well, no, you know, now you're a legend. Don't, not for that song. All right, I'm looking over this new game show. 
and it, it's starting to feel like every game show that we've ever done before. Because we're just reading off things like we do in other game shows. Yeah. And that's fun? Be fun with the prizes. Yeah, the prizes thing is fun. Prizes is very fun. What should we do? A ninth caller? No. We should play the game. Where am I? All right. Let's, let's hear the new stuff. Recalculating for Ronald Fences, where am I? Turn right to win. Your destination is straight ahead. Exit now for Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. Part of the Wyndham family of brands. There's a Wyndham waiting. set that up. That's like a GPS. Mm-hmm. Like GPS. And so I'm going to give out clues and people tell us where we are. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's try it here. Well, let's go to Mike in Detroit. Mike, how are you? Mike. Yes. I'm yes. going to give you a clue. You tell me where I am, okay? Okay. It's the hometown of Bill Hader. Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. You are officially lost. There is no hope. You're out, buddy. Hmm. Fun. Uh, Eric in Atlantic City. Hey, Ronnie B. Uh, Eric, I gave you Hometown of Bill Hader. Now I'm going to give you Rogers and Hammerstein Musical. Oklahoma. Uh, more specific, please. Jeez, I'm lost. It's a town in Oklahoma. You've heard of Oklahoma. I have. I have. Um, Oklahoma, uh, Jesus. Oklahoma, Jesus. Let's see. <laughs> you are officially Sorry, lost. There is no hope. The robot lady from the future tells you no. It's a GPS. Why is she sounding like she's got lasers behind her? Because that's like satellite new sounds, and that's what it sounds I, like. When, I, I'm going to say this because yeah. I know you don't drive. No, I do not. But have you ever heard of GPS? Yes. There is a lot of laser sounds going on. Uh, Kevin in Indiana. Kevin. Yes, sir. How uh, are you? Have you heard the clues so far? Uh, no, I missed them. All right, it's the hometown of Bill Hader. Rogers and Hammerstein musical, and I'm going to give you one more clue. It's the oil capital of the world. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Let's see. Congratulations, you've reached your destination. There's our GPS lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GPS woman. She sounds tiny. <laughs> Very little. Well, she's inside the GPS unit. Well, that doesn't work that way. I'm way off. So now we're now you're now you look like the idiot. Damn it! What did what did she win, Chris? She went. Uh, they went. Uh, cabin boy. Who's they? <laughs> Do you just assume that they're married? <laughs> he wins. Cabin boy, signed by Mr. Chris Elliott. How do you like the new show? You think it's fun? It could be funner. In what way? Less reading off things to people. Well, how would you make it funner? Have them maybe have the people interact with us more as opposed to just just reading off what their guesses are. I know now what it feels like to be a seventh grade history teacher. <laughs> that low? Not even high school? No. Somebody who feels like, what can I say to this man yeah. that makes him think that I get it? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
It's the Ron and Fez Where Am I Game Show, brought to you by Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, part of the Wyndham family of brands. There's a Wyndham waiting. I think that this, this game is going to grow. I think it's going to get even better. So far, I like the robot uh, from the future. Yeah. I like her. She's great. Yeah. So you and Questlove last night, huh? Yeah, me and Questlove was great. He was just losing it. When, when Did you talk to him at all? At, towards, at, at the end, I, I finished before him. I was like, big fan, Questlove. But see, the place doesn't have any uh, utensils. It's just, you have gloves on as you're eating this crab. So I couldn't really like, shake his hand or anything. And I wasn't going to ask for a picture. I'm not going to. Well, it would have been. Let me just explain to you how to deal with the famous, okay? Yeah. They're just like you and me. So instead of bringing up the roots to him, you should bring up the Philadelphia Eagles football team, and you should have started singing along with him. Fly, Eagles, fly, on a road to victory. Fly, Eagles, fly. I and just up. be like this. Hey, Q, we're taking it to the house. All right. <laughs> taking it to the house. Another rum and kick, please. I saw uh, Questlove on the Sunday morning program. It's called CBS Sunday Morning. And he lives in a tower next to the new Freedom Tower. And he's up on the 70th floor of right where the attacks were. And you're looking out this window and he says to the guy from CBS, um, this relaxes me. This view relaxes me. Yeah. And the guy from CBS doesn't take the time to go, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Do you understand that you've just, you're where the worst attack in modern American history is taken by? And then you said this relaxes me? Quest, how do we get down? How do we get down? <laughs> Elevator's broken. Elevators broke, so he slides down the rope. But now you're going to look it up? <laughs> yes. Oh, we got to go and check on our uh, Highlander game. Uh, Highlander is the name of the game that we do. And Chris, I uh, had a paper in front of me earlier. Just, as always, give me your paper, other than the one that you gave me. Because I don't know what I do with this stuff that you gave me, but... Um, so far, there was like 50, about 50 comedians in this. Yes. And they've been going out one after another. Let's go through this. They have to pick one team that wins every week. And you say the person that you're feeling best about is Jay Moore. Jay Moore, yeah. Jay Moore is so strong at this. Who else for you? Uh, Jim Florentine. Jim Florentine's big. He knows what he's doing. Um, what about this name? Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman. Yeah. He's a mystery to us. And I said, I don't know if he knows anything about sports. I got an email that said he played tight end for BC. Holy shit. He was a tight end. You know what? He's very tall. He's kind of like Gronk-esque. Like he's a kind of a Gronk type in the tight end. Yeah, but he doesn't seem quite insane enough <laughs> to be a tight end. You know, he's a very thoughtful person. I mean, that's why he's not in the NFL. All right, three people uh, were part of last night's. Let's see how they did. Uh... Jason Nash. Eliminated. <laughs> Michael Ian Black. Eliminated. Oh. Tom Rhodes. 
Barnes. Let me tell you something about Greer. I can't follow that dude. Good luck. Nobody follows Greer Barnes. Ever. Greer Barnes is 2014's version of Nobody Puts Baby in the Corner. He's on top of the world right now. He so can't. That new stopped. album coming out. Yeah, it's on iTunes. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Yeah. Can't say it like that. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I like Greer very much. Oh, he was great. Wherever he goes, I'm going to follow him. Greer Barnes. Let me tell you something about Greer. I can't follow that dude. Good luck. All right. So we started out with 50 comedians, I believe. Uh, we are down to only 22 comedians after two weeks. And I'll tell you what the problem is with this game and why it's so hard. Most of the teams in the NFL are one and one now. It's, I mean, there's too much parity. It's mine. I, I, I hate it. I, I, I'm looking at like the Falcons. The Falcons should beat Tampa Bay on Thursday, but they probably Who won't. Who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, I, first of all, I, I watched both Tampa Bay games. Yeah. You will see that. Fez watches both games still. Yeah, he loves I haven't it. watched any football this season. Stop playing. Not a drop. We, we know you have a temp. There's no such thing as drops of football. There are drops of Jupiter. And that song fucking kills me. I want me to sing a little bit of Drops of Jupiter. Are you familiar with a band called Drain? Train? No. Yeah. You're not familiar with Train. <laughs> You've never heard of Train. Hey, Soul Sister okay. was your fucking jam of the summer. I didn't realize hey, it was Train. Hey, Soul Sister. All right, I'm going to sing a little bit of Drops of Jupiter. All right. Chris Stanley sucking cock again. Shit. Why would you play this song at the same time as I'm singing my version? Now I see he does it much better than me. Anyway, I don't know what... Oh, there's no drops of football, but there are drops of Jupiter. That's where that went. Shelby, have you also given up uh, football this year? I love football. I'm watching pretty much every game. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. You and your Arab girlfriend? Yeah, we do. I'm, I'm teaching her our ways. <laughs> did, were you with her last night? No. Just your one not. day, make it out on a swing. Yeah. And now still afraid of and that. And an awkward high. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Do you know what country she's from in uh, Arabia? I do not. That did not come up. She Persian? Well, she's from America. Sure she is. Let me tell you something. And I would never tell you what to do with your life, okay? Got it. I ask you for one thing. Nine to five, and then the rest of your life is free. And I know that you are madly in love with this girl. But her and her family are going to cut your head off on CNN. That's what they do. I see it every day. I think they they told me they're going to keep it to live leak, but... If they, I hope they don't put it CNN on CNN. picks it up. Damn CNN it. picks it up. Is the live leak thing still going on, Chris? Oh, yeah. You yeah. used to always put up like horrible <laughs> things on uh, car crashes and stuff, and now you've stopped. I, I, maybe I've just saw too many terrible things on the internet mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, no more snuff. I've just watched too much snuff. It's terrible. I watched something like a baby playing with a kitten. Or a kitten thinks it's a baby. That would be perfect. We should try to find the most viral thing that you could ever do and make it ourselves and act like it's real. Like, we'll go out and rent a cute kitten, we'll rent a cute baby, and we'll just have them, like, roll around in the field, and at the end, we'll just go, the run of face show, 12 to 3, raw dog. Just dump ice water on them, too. Do we say it that way? Raw dog. No, but we could start. I'd like to get a saying going about raw dog. Like, if you don't like something, that's so raw dog. Or maybe if you do like yeah. it, that's so raw dog. What about that's so raw? 
Space dog. It's too much like that's so Raven. Oh. You know? And even the Ravens tried to fucking steal that. Like now if somebody punches their wife, they just say that's so Raven. That's quickly? Yeah. And if you beat your kid with a switch, AP. I prefer calling him the Purple Jesus. I, I know he doesn't like that, but it's a great nickname. That's blasphemy. Some agnostic you are. Yeah, this is him. I am Gnostic. <laughs> you know, see, I did, I did a call back there. Just pick something. It's not that hard. Yeah. Be a Jew, be a <laughs> Buddhist. I don't care, but be something. If I were pray to something. If, if I were, if I was born Jew, oh, I love being a Jew. Why do you make it sound like an insult even saying it that way? Well, how's it an insult? It's a positive thing. You just went, if I was born Jew, I'd love being a Jew. And <laughs> it made me sick. It made me seem like you fucking racist. How, I'm saying I love the Jewish people. Born Jew. <laughs> and that's the only way. I think converting is, is dicey. I don't trust. Well, I'll tell that. that to Sammy Davis Jr. Because oh, no. who else has? <laughs> He's the only guy who did. And he's not, he's not technically Jewish. Your mom's got to be Jewish. That's how it has to go down. You have a lot of rules for an agnostic. <laughs> I'm just aware of the Jewish rules. How many are you aware of? Probably those are the main ones that they're <laughs> yeah. chosen and that the mother... But no, they accept that you can be Jewish. You're, you can convert to that's, that. That's odd. I find that odd. Well, you're odd. <laughs> you know? You're odd and you have an, an extremely strange song written about you. <laughs> that's sung beautifully by Mr. Neil Young. There's a little Neil Young uh, stuff out there that he is currently with a former guest on our show. And he is divorcing his wife of 38 years. Oh, man. To be with this guest on our show. Shelby, you look like you have a guess. Anna Kendrick. I have a guess. That's disgusting. I have a guess. Anna Kendrick is a child. It's 2014. People are doing yes. things differently now. Yes, it's 2014, which makes it worse than if it was 1814. 1814, we go, that's great. He ought to. But this is 2014. She's teaching him the cup song. Everything's going great for him. Do you know the, you, how much you sound like a child by some of the topics you bring up? The cup song? You ever oh. hear the cup song? No. I like it slowed way down so that, the, that you're just barely doing it. I'd guess for who's Neil, Neil Young is with. I know Questlove again, right? Oh, is it Hit, hit Girl, it. Chloe Grace Moretz? <laughs> That's fucking disgusting. <laughs> that young girl said to me, "I remember the first day because she's was really young, and she was a child, but she was a beautiful child. Unfortunately for her, and she was like, I remember the first day a man looked at me like I was a woman, and it was." frightening and i remember thinking you ever see like you like a little dog when a big dog comes over and just starts sniffing around it yeah. and they just sit there shaking that's what m must be like to be a pretty little girl I'll, I'll check shelby what's it like to be a pretty little girl <laughs> fucking gorgeous lips hard not easy the way everybody here looks at me hmm? like they want to you know do stuff to my beautiful lips that's a start you are for just seriously, you're fucking gorgeous. Thank you. If anything, Christy, follow the uh, the rock and roll. I, at times, yeah. All right, now look at Steve. Look at him. Does he? Doesn't Shelby look like Steven Tyler's come? I mean, oh. what you imagine? As it shoots that would just out. come shooting out of Steven Tyler's penis. It's like there's Shelby. Be Shelby. <laughs>
And he'd be like, no, 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 how? You know, because he's the, the demon of screaming. Did you hide when Liv Tyler came in here? I was I was under the console. Because she's I'm sure she meets a lot of people that she goes, Oh God, I guess you're my half brother. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure like Liv Tyler, if someone comes up and goes, I think I'm related to you, Liv Tyler, and she'd be shopping, she wouldn't even look up, she would go, You are <laughs> This is her, like, folding the clothes, I think. I, I had her buying blouses, but in one of those big tables <laughs> yeah. where there's just a bunch of blouses. I don't know why I thought she shopped there. Liv Tyler doesn't shop at Old Navy. No, I was thinking even, you know, further down. I had her at the Old Mall, <laughs> where there was just a table full of clothes and uh, and, and shoes. Um, mismatched shoes. So uh, you uh, you love the new uh, you love the new game that we're playing now. Yeah, it's only going to get better. Yeah, Where am I? To, right? Yeah. Where am I? Would have to get better. I have another guess for who Neil Young's dating. Oh, go ahead. Is it Juliette Lewis? No. Damn it. That would have been a smart move, though. Yeah, they're both all grog. You know what I like about you? Once you get your teeth into a question, you're never going to give up. No, I want to know who's da- who's now supposedly dating. Well, I only know this because I saw it. There's a there's a magazine. It's a bi-monthly called Rolling Stone. Oh. And it's all about the rock and roll. You get it all in there. And uh, they, David Crosby, uh, had bad stuff to say about the new girlfriend, which is never a good sign for guys in, you know, your old band act like, I don't like the girl girls she's dating now. Yeah. She's a real weirdo, he says through his giant mustache <laughs> and fresh baby liver that he needs to live. <laughs> this one's a nut! Really? Because I saw you on TV smoking a crack pipe. So I thought you'd be forgiving. If anyone. Maya Bialik. <laughs> what? Why? Now, now you're just after comedy. <laughs> now you're just going for straight comedy. Why wouldn't he want to be with Maya Bialik? Well, uh, maybe he does want to. He's just not. Okay, well, you all right. It's okay. just the, where would those two meet is what I'm fucking asking. He's a big star. She's a big star. Yes, but in two different genres. She's on fucking Big Bang Theory. Actually, he's not going to sit there and be like this. He's watching Big Bang Theory, and he's just singing to himself, Chris Tanner likes to suck on some dicks, and I'll lick those balls, too. Uh, so no, not Maya Bialik. Who? What was her name before this? She was Blossom. Yeah, she was Blossom. Um, because of you and your ilk, I was walking down the street the other day, and I recognized Topanga. <laughs> nice. I had never known her until she came here, and everyone who was like say thirty to thirty-five freaked out and lined up to get a picture next to her. Yeah. Uh, she. How'd she look? She looked like the same way she looked here. Nice. Well, she's got the new show, Girl Meets World. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is the show on? Yeah. You're it's watching like, it? Uh, it's. I saw like, the first few episodes on Disney Channel. So I have Do to get them illegally. Do you feel like a kid toucher even turning on the Disney Channel? No. I'm just. I'm watching it for Topanga, who's an adult female woman. Okay? Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, teen Topanga, you, the porn Let me just star. say this. I've never heard you say the word film without... I mean, adult without ending it with film star. <laughs> because you try to act like you're classy and go, uh, you know who's my favorite adult film star right now? Teen Topanga. I saw her at that local gentleman's club. <sighs> That's him. Uh, he's jumping in. This, you know, 
It's bring your kid to work day, and I want to have him in. So big here. <laughs> uh, Dave. Dave. Uh, hey, guys. Wait. Yeah, Neil Young is uh, currently dating Daryl Hannah. That is true. Shit. Big ass prize class if you. Ring a bell. Laura uh, and Yonkers just tapped out because she had, um, she had him uh, dating Gina Gershon. My next guest was going to be Gabby Douglas. I'm a Glenn Close. I don't think Glenn Close dates. I just have a feeling. I think if anyone, Glenn Close would say this: I'm dating this snowman. Not that she's cold, but I'm just doing a thing. Because the character she plays is cold. She's actually a very beautiful woman. I'm just saying that as somebody who wants Glenn Close to come back on the program. Uh, Tom in Madison, you're on the Run and Fest show. Buddies. Hey, that was a great unmasked, Ronnie. So? Totally dug that. Hello, hello. Yeah. Hey, hey, Ronnie, I got a friend that's heading out to D.C., and I sent her over to the Ontario Bank for the right way, but she didn't, uh, she didn't come up with anything, so... I don't know if you guys got a couple minutes to just throw some suggestions where to where to eat, where not to get too touristy, stuff like that. She's got a good amount of money, so that's not really an object, but anybody's got any ideas, I she's not in a position to listen to the show, so I'm just gonna kinda Yeah, I don't I don't try to help people who don't listen to the show, Tom. That's just a thing for me. Was she too rich to listen, huh? I want you to do this, Tom. Uh Ben's chili bowl is the place to eat. Uh she likes bowls of chili, right? Absolutely. What's not to love, Ron? Yeah. Now, she's going to, and she doesn't mind eating in a place where she's the only white person. And I don't think so, no. Right. She's cool. Perfect for her, she's then. Cool. Ben's she's Chili Bowl cool. is fantastic. I sent, t- tell her to just send me a thing at Ron and Fez's AOL, and I'll give her a bunch of places, all right? You got it, brother. Thank you. Okay, Appreciate thank it. you, my friend. Great unmasked. Great un- totally dug that. Well, he is, uh, he's a terrific guy. Chris Gethard. Yes. Eliminated. He's not eliminated. Oh, my God. Chris Gethard. That's bad news. (laughs) Chris Gethard doesn't doesn't play sports or understand them. He refuses. Uh, Later on in the show, we're going to have someone today, though, Chris, that you're going to like. I'll give you a hint. His first name is Vigo. Oh, my God. Yeah. Vigo. Strider for Lord of the Rings. I'll just say this. Yeah. I've asked him to come in dressed like that. Because oh, of you. thank you so much. Now, part of what we'll, we'll be doing today... Aragorn. Yes, Aragorn. Uh, we will not be talking about Lord of the Rings. <sighs> well, he's dressed like Aragorn. That's good. I made That's... up that part. He's not going to dress like that. He's a serious actor. I love this man. Who does serious For real. work. I know you do. You love everyone that's been in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And his work with David Cronenberg. Um, if I gave you a choice right now, Lord of the Rings or Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Rings. Chris, stand like the Oh. How do you not like Lord of the Flies? I do like Lord of the Flies, but Lord of the Rings, it's gonna, it's gonna win out. Uh, when we had to read Lord of the Flies, I guess you're like in eighth or ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, I... You know, the teacher, they, they like read this chapter and then come back the next day. And, uh, you know, th- then they just see if you read the chapter. They ask you questions at school. And the teacher says, "What do you like Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Flies? And I'm like, um, yeah, 
I go, it's, it's so funny. You know, I mean, finally we're reading a comedy, and, he, and he's like, what is funny? I go, when they kill the fat kid, Piggy. I honestly thought everybody thought it was going to be really funny. But apparently that's one of the tragic parts of it. They made us, we didn't read it, they made just had us watch the movie. That freaked me out. What, what kind of school did you go A to? A queen school. Fucking TV guide? <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time for a classic. You're going to watch the movie that was on Lifetime. We don't have enough books to go around, but we do have this tape. All right. This book's condensed into an hour and a half. But why would a school think, watch the the movie? It was a bad school. It wasn't a good school I went to. We can tell. Hey, kiss my ass, Portland douchebag. Look, at least his parents stayed together. Yeah. And then died. They stayed together. They didn't use me as some pawn. Let's tell. Some pawn in his grand scheme. You know what, though? Your parents did use it as a pawn. And I know what that's like because my parents used me as a rook. And they would go, <laughs> I could only go front and sideways. So limiting. I could go diagonal. Yeah, but I could go get somebody way on the other side of the board. <laughs> you were living on a board? Yes, I was living on a fucking board, you little idiot. We're doing fucking, you know, we're trying to do surrealistic comedy here. And then you're like, wait, stop everything. Stop it. Hang even on. though even though everyone's bought into this new universe, <laughs> let me point out the absurdity of it. Um I guess you don't play chess. That's what made you stop and yell out bored. I stick to checkers. <laughs> yeah. Well. Children do that. Chinese checkers? No, just just regular. We had uh, my mom made it Chinese checkers. She just drew a little slants and a smile face on it. <laughs> awesome. Said here now you have Chinese checkers. <laughs> Do we got a break, Chris? Yeah, we got a break. Uh, so coming up, by the way, the movie is called, and, and Chris has all, all my papers today. The movie is called um, The Two Faces of January. And what happens, it's a man with a face on each side of his head. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Do they both faces work? Yeah. One is Hot Rod. Okay, I just did a wrestling thing from many years ago. You remember who was? Rowdy who? Rowdy Roddy who? Pipe. Rowdy. We're going to go all the way with it. But, no, this film... Are you familiar with uh, Alfred Hitchcock? Yes. This feels like a modern-day Alfred Hitchcock. It sounds amazing. Film noir, if you will. With Viggo Mortensen? Love it. Well, it's Viggo is in it. Kristen Dunst is plays his young bride sexy and then that guy uh who was in the um coen brothers movie is the folk guy oscar oscar isaacs yeah oscar isaacs nice i like him too this movie sounds great already what do you like about it i like i like everyone in it i like it being compared to a hitchcock film well there's a tension that runs through this film and it's just pulled pulled until it's so tight till finally i'm just like oh god my god my God, what's going to happen to everyone? Jesus. I yelled that out in the theater. Really? Freak everybody out? Yeah. And they were saying, shh. And I'm like, just tell me if anyone has seen this first and give me some kind of relief because I cannot take the tension anymore. But I love that kind of film. I like feeling tense. That's when you know the movie's working. Yes, that, obviously. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I bought into it, if you will. Sure. I've suspended my disbelief. Lately, I've... Uh, you know what they... That's what you have to do in a film. Uh, and then to suspend your 
belief means that you're an agnostic. I guess that's me then. A dirty, filthy agnostic. Well, I'm dirty and filthy because I didn't shower after that crab dinner. It's not so much that you don't believe there's a God. You don't want there to be a God to get even with the shit that you've done. I don't want to. After, after the lights go out, be judged? Screw yeah. that. No. No, thank you. You call death as, as after the lights go out. Yeah, for you, you, forever. Native American? <laughs> no, I am... American. When was the first time that you were around death? Oh, buddy of mine. Like, I was like uh, 19. Buddy of mine died in a motorcycle. Uh, so up until you were 19th, you were never affected by death at all? No one I knew died, no. Yeah, no. Just this kid, that, the buddy of mine, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my dog died. And I said to my dad, I said, I think the dog's dead. And he said, give it a couple days. You know, let's not rush it. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I go, no, he's dead. And he goes, well, that's because you've been bad. Really? Yeah. And that's what made me know that death comes from you yourself being bad and being judged for it. It's rough, man. Well, at least I learned how the world works. No. Dog probably just died of old age. Wouldn't it be weird if there was a world without death? Just no death at all? Would there be births too? Still, like if it, it wouldn't, it would just it would go you just turn to shit. Births, <laughs> births, <laughs> births. So you're saying we need to be thankful to death? Yeah. Otherwise, if every, if everyone was just still alive, we would have been wiped out a long time ago. No one dying. How could you be wiped out if you're still alive? <sighs> Holy shit! This just fucked my head up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be impossible. Well, what about if you yourself had eternal life? Do you think you would work this job? I think I'd work this job, but I'd also work many jobs. Like, if I was living forever, yeah. Yeah, I would work no jobs. <laughs> there would be none. But then, then how would What's you make... What's the use? What is the use? All right, so you're living forever, but don't you want to be at least in some comfort? Like, if you're not working any job, then you're just hanging out in the street, just fucking not dying, just being in this weird stasis place? Stasis place? It's like, like all right, so you're, you're, you could live forever, so nothing matters. Why are you yelling at me? No. We're two fellas sitting here having a conversation. First of all, sit down. Take okay. a load off. All right, all right. Okay? I'll take a it's rest. It's a three-hour show. You're standing up and screaming in my face. <laughs> as if I set up a universe you refuse to live in. Just be fucking friends for two seconds. Okay, all right. All right? Okay, all right. Let's, all right. God. All right, so we're in this world. No, I'm not playing with you. God damn it. You're too dumb. Bullshit. Um, Andy in Cleveland has a spy report for me, so we have to go back and find the old spy report thing. It takes us quite a while now. Andy? Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Uh, got a personal spy report for you. Spy uh, report. Spy report. <laughs> I tried to call in with the uh, summer of Tito's, but the, the timing kept being off with interviews and whatnot, but... Um, I just wrapped uh, my first lead role on a family film. Um, I'm not sure where it's going to be distributed, uh, but it's got uh, talking dogs and soccer and all, all kinds of uh, fun things. Talking and, dogs uh, and soccer. Yeah, I think Air Bud, but kind of like a you know like a, a spinoff type okay. of Air Bud. Okay. Like a you know yeah. And uh, it was really amazing experience, and I ended up uh, like a, you know, like I said, with lead role this time. So I'm playing uh, one of a two men uh, heist or heist group or burglars that are trying to uh, rip off uh, this uh, soccer tournament. So it's and, kind of uh, uh, Airbud meets Home Alone. 
Yeah, and I'm definitely playing the Daniel Stern role. Okay. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, of the Pinky and the Brain um, comedy duo, I'm definitely the Brain or uh, Pinky. Okay. So uh, a lot of fun, and uh, I just, yeah. Well, congratulations to Andy. Yeah, but I wanted to give you guys a heads up, and I, I'm not sure. I think they're looking tentatively at a spring release. Uh, like I said, it's a family film, but it's you know it's, it was a, a heck of a lot of fun. I work with some amazing people. So you work with any amazing dogs? Um, yeah, actually, if you want, uh, Jumpy the dog was our probably our biggest canine star. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, he's got a ton of web videos out there. So if you want to look up uh, Jumpy the dog, you'll see um, the. Uh, the creature that will probably overshadow everything I put on film. Jumpy the dog. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look that up later when pot is legal. That's when I'm gonna say to myself, <laughs> "This will be fun." I'm waiting till it's legal, and then I'm fucking going all out. No. Yeah. It's bad for you. I, I tell you, I would be careful with the grade of of uh, weed you enjoy because there are some of these stunts that will look practically impossible that that dog shouldn't be able to do but uh, i can personally attest that this uh this is one amazing animal and he can he can pretty much do everything you see in that video all right by the way earlier did i say hitchhock because i thought he said hitchcock but andrea wrote in i said hitchhock I might have said shock. Uh, well, that's okay if you did, Chris. You make mistakes. You're an eighth, you're agnostic. It happens, that, you know. It screams, and you've already bounced back up out of that chair, <laughs> just fucking just looming over me as if you know <laughs> you're about to drop an elbow any chance you get. Never. But we got to see this uh, this movie that Andy's in. Um, I want to see Jump with the Dog. I know you do, Chris. Dave, you're on the Run and Fez show. Hey, Ronnie, how's it going? Yeah. So. I was wondering, it's like if you if you ended up curing cancer, like you know, it, let's just say we we cured this disease, cancer, and that kills a lot of people. Right. Where would you actually put all the people that live? That you know, we keep on regenerating. France, we put them in France. France, that's a good yeah. good spot. Thanks. Yeah. All right, so there it is. It's done. So it's easy. Yeah. That's why I'd make a great president. Dump them in France. What are they going to do? Mm. Your ear okay? Yeah, it's fine. And just like stick a pen in your ear and then look at your pen. What were you expecting to say? Scab, blood, what? Earwax. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um <laughs> You don't have to cover up. It's okay to laugh in radio. Radio's a friendly place. And the Highlander pool, Michael Ian Black has tweeted out he wants everyone to know, in fairness, he was only eliminated because he forgot to make picks. Um, that's nothing fair. That's even worse. Yeah, I'm um, Yeah. I mean, one of your jobs is to make picks. Send you know, that's reminders. like saying the only reason why I struck out is I forgot a bat. <laughs> if I'd had a bat with me, I'm sure I would have hit a home run. Uh, we break here. We're back. Run and Fez. Run and Fez. On Raw Dog. Raw Dog. Comedy hit.
Fez show on, uh, what are we, Tuesday? It's Tuesday. That's a twofer. Uh, Big Brother vote out night tonight. How many people are they down to now? I think we're down to five. Uh, the undercover cop is still in it. The, the cowboy is still in Beast it. Beast still in it. Marshawn Lynch. Beast Mode is still part of this. Um, the floating soccer player, the, the Jewish American princess, and the undercover cop. All together. Oh, and uh, Frankie, who's some pop star's sister. I think he gets voted out tonight. Though. Ariana Grande. I don't know who she is. She's hot shit right now. Is she? Yeah. That's a good thing to be? Yeah, it's a good thing, yeah. So normally I would think if I was hot shit, this is not something. I, if someone said to me, you're hot shit, I'll go, well, you're fucking piss. How's that? You know? Positive. Hot shit's positive. Okay. You kids and your jazz terms. Yeah. I want to keep up with them all. Uh, but we were talking about The Unmasked, and the Chris Gethard was amazing. Loved and it. And fun and terrific. We did the Bill Hader today, and everybody's going to love that. He gets into some behind-the-scenes South Park stuff that's amazing. fantastic. And by the way, this movie is really good. See, here's what's happened for him. He's in it with Kristen Wiig, right? And for some reason, the critics have all decided that Kristen Wiig is brilliant. So she's brilliant in this film, but they're like, yeah, she's doing her brilliant thing. But Bill Hader, you know, and they're giving him so much love. And um, and it's, you know, it's a good film. It's uh, I, I know it sounds like almost a cliche now to say, like, this is like a 70s style film. But when you say that, you mean this film doesn't suck like everything in the 80s and after. <laughs> if someone came up and said, I made films, and you go, when? And they say the 80s, you'd almost go like, oh, I'm sorry. You know? There were some good ones. Oh, yeah, I always forget. You love Rain Man. <laughs> Can't get enough you of it. That, um, that it reminds you and your imaginary Rain Man brother. I know, yeah. Some guys is really good at gambling. Unlike me. I like it better when you're standing up. You got more you think? and you're not confused. I noticed with this show, uh, commercials take something out of us. I look around. If we Everything would just be chugging along and we do a commercial and the entire team comes back like, how do you do this? How does you do radio? And I go, did you just go piss out any radio understanding pissed out all your radio intelligence there's no piss there's a, there's just piss inside of me right now i didn't push yeah. any out uh chris will always say this the night he's drinking ain't no piss like the first piss am i right yeah feels damn good mm. and you get the piss gels which oh, is man. about as close to an orgasm as you can get Sometimes I feel like it is, and it is actual an orgasm. I'm worried that you're holding yourself too tightly. <laughs> <laughs> Slow it down. Slow it down. Oh, no. feels good. You don't touch it in the living room. That's <laughs> the main rule that we have. I didn't say you can touch it. Just don't touch it in the living room or in front of the neighbors. That's the things they should be teaching in school. Not enough kids, no dick etiquette. Oh, God. What would I say? You just, just you saying that, I'm waiting for fucking troopers to kick in the door. Fuck. And I'm talking about starship troopers. <laughs> Hell yeah. They come in here and treat us like we're bugs. The roughnecks? It's a bug planet! 
Poor bastards. I saw a uh, commercial the other day that was so bad that it looked like a Starship Troopers patriotic commercial. What, what, what was it for? It was for, let's suppose you had someone die in your family in the war. You were supposed to buy this pin from them and put it on. And then, uh, then military guys would salute you if they saw the pin. And I'm like, first of all, what business idea of like, all right, let's think if there's a business opportunity for people who've lost a loved one in the war. There's a lot of them now. What can we sell them? What, what would they go for? A patch? A pair of socks? And just someone goes, pen? Wait, what did you say? Pen. God damn it, Jameson, you've done it again. We'll come out with a gold-plated pin. They'll love it. Yeah. They love being exploited. But it was shot, like, really cheaply and weird. That <laughs> I, At the end of it, uh, I just wanted to hear, do you want to know more? Click to know more. They never said click to know more. They, they just didn't? said that you would, do you want to know more? And then they put up the thing that you could. Did you even fucking see this I've seen movie? it plenty of times. I've seen it so many times. But are you Star paying Trip attention? Or are you sitting there playing your goddamn video games? <laughs> Love video games. What did they used to call like the little video game that you would just buy and the whole thing would just be that game? They were like a Walkman, but for a game. Yeah. Like but in, they're what, like football games and stuff? Yeah, okay, football games. For it. It doesn't I don't, matter. I don't know if there was a name for it, but I know what you're talking but about. But it would be like a Game Boy. A Game Boy is what they were called. And like a kid would just sit in the back seat and he would just do that. And st- you know, you're driving past the fucking Grand Canyon and they're just Game Boying back there. Yeah, Tetris. It's good okay, stuff. Okay, Tetris. You're going to go through every fucking game now. Super Mario Bros. All right. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Fucking cell phones shot that in the back of the head, huh? They did. They shot everything in the back of the head. We don't get newspapers because we have phones now. Even the I haven't seen anyone with a flashlight that you put batteries in for I don't know how long. The the cell phones just fucking Hurricane Sandy destroyed this the batteries. Okay, you flashlights. Hold on, you caught him being stupid. Does that make you a big man now, Fez? You mean that seriously? You just caught the easiest fucking fish in the ocean. You feel good about yourself, Fez? I'll throw him back. Yeah. I'm telling you, in a non-hurricane situation, everyone uses their cell phone as a goddamn flashlight. What about a yeah. twister? Hold on, my flashlight just went off. <laughs> I'm making a lot of sense here. There are people right now that are trying to figure out how your food, your phone can replace food. If we could just put nutrients that you could lick your phone, people would be happy. It's coming. They're 3D printing food. You yell it like you're fucking modern-day Paul Revere. <laughs> it's coming! <laughs> You love the 3D printing, don't you? It's the future of everything. See, I've invested a lot of money into 2D printing. And oh, it no. just. Oh, no. Right now, all we have is breath strips. You gotta go. So, so thin. <laughs> right, you got, instead of stepping on it, just sit and, let, and enjoy the joke. Yeah. Breath strips. It's fucking funny, you know? We can all be friends together. Playing cards. 2D. Jesus Christ. What did I say? It's, that bit's over. Oh. We've moved on. Now you're thinking, oh, what thin things can I think of? Paper. Paper. Loose leaf. Why would we need paper? Um, Brian in PA. How you doing, buddy? It's afraid, Ronnie. It's afraid. It is. It's afraid. Hey, um, I'm if it's afraid, we can win. Up. Just a heads up, uh... Philadelphia Union tonight down in Chester. They're going for their first uh, trophy. 
This is the championship for the Philadelphia Union. Let me tell you something about that stadium. You could you could throw a hot dog from that stadium to the hospital that I was born. That's how close it is. So I will be there tonight as they call me the Miracle Baby of Chester, Pennsylvania. I'm going to show up there. And uh, I'm just going to have a sign that says Union. And it's going to look like the beginning of that Sally Field movie. Um, who are they playing, do you know? They're playing the Seattle Sounders. To me, uh, if you're going to have a championship game in Chester, I think they should either be playing Chichester, Sun Valley, uh, Interboro, or Ridley. Outside of that, I think you're wasting time. I mean, maybe if they get a bus, Garnet Valley. But that's, you know, they're not going to get home till late. Right. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you want no part of this, right? Okay, good. Good job to the union then. Let's go. All right, cool. Let's go all freak right. show. All right, all the way. All Let's right. go. So that's a it's, a, it's a city of champions right now, Philadelphia. You know, the Eagles, they just gave them the Super Bowl last night. I know, that was Monday Night Football. You don't watch ESPN in the morning because these guys were just sure that the season was over. <laughs> and sure that Philadelphia was they were like, I don't see them losing this season. By the way, I saw someone say that about the Seahawks last week. I don't see them losing this year. Oh, God. Philip Rivers. Now Philip Rivers is the greatest quarterback ever known to men. And Drew Brees is the worst, because he's 0-2. He's had, what, three 5,000-yard seasons in a row, Drew Brees? It doesn't mean anything today, though. A 5,000-yard season doesn't mean a goddamn thing, because you basically they've taken away the defense. There's no defense in that game. All right, here's the thing that I saw the other night. Now, I'll write it down okay. for you animals, you sick animals. All right, good. I am a sick animal. And I want you to just read the word that I put up here. All right. Defense. Defense. The word is defense. And it's always been defense, right? It has always been called defense until the New York football giants of the 1950s started to chant defense. Defense. Oh, my God. Until that time. And you've heard people call it defense. We call it the defense department. We don't call it the defense department. So we kind of feel like, well, there's two different things. There isn't. That was just a cheer that took place in Yankee Stadium and was just the early days of... uh, Here, gather around when I'm telling stories like this. Gather around when I have to sit at my feet, you know? But uh, I saw this on the NFL Network. Because of that crowd chanting defense, it was against the, as you call them, Colts. Yeah, Colts. Oh, God. It's like being fucking Dr. Moreau and just this planet of freaks. I'm not a freak animal on a goddamn island. Aren't you? No! Because if you're fucking wrong, we'll prove it. So because of that crowd chanting defense, everyone else just, um, uh, uh, you know, says that now. It's really interesting to me. Um, Oscar, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, Ron, I was just wondering, how the fuck do you do it? I mean, 
Shelby takes every fucking joke literally. He can't take. He doesn't He's understand a moron. the elaborate jokes that you set up. He's uh, a and moron. Chris, that fucking won't stop talking all over you. I mean, god damn it! Must it must suck to be Ronnie B. That's all I'm saying. I'm it out. Really? Th- first of all, let me say this. Thank God that somebody's here to to validate what I go through on a daily basis. But when we're sitting there doing a chess thing, we're doing a long story about chess. And I said, move on the board. And then Shelby goes like, you lived on a board like he caught someone. Like he caught a fucking mistake. Instead, the wheel, the joke wheel is moving, the comedy wheel is moving, and he runs up with his stick and just shoves it in the joke spokes. How stupid can he possibly be, Shelby? And he's breaking spokes, and the stick is flying everywhere. Splinters. Yeah. And now he's going to go like this. You think there's spokes in the joke there's, there's, are you a joke carpenter I know everyone wants to kill a teenage boy <laughs> and then he holds on to that as long as he can but yes uh, the only person I have on me, here for me on a daily basis is Fess the rest of these because he'll give me updates of what's happening he'll pick stuff out you're always quick with a, you know, a fact or a live read I have you. This, Chris Stanley? Yeah. Is this good thing? Good thing? For you, it's... Just watching you, it, it reminds me of how, in, in the real world, yeah. disease spreads. You know, where it starts small, and then it becomes so viral that there's a tipping point. You know? But anyway, that's what my... And thank you for... No, you know what I'm going to do today... Oscar, because no one ever is here for me, but you are. Big ass prize closet here. Ronnie B, you are the coolest guy in radio, man. Why did you limit it to in radio? There's so we should take many... it away. We yeah. should take the prize away. Because this, this guy's pointing. Disease just got here. This guy's pointing out all sorts of stupid shit. So we should just take that prize away. Go ahead and read him his prize. All right, sir. You in America? Right. <laughs> what? You watch game shows, right? You'll never go over the announcer. All right. Let me look around. Tell him what he's won, Johnny. All right. I'm gonna do it. Grand Canyon signed by Alfre Woodard. It's odd. It's an odd. It's a movie she had a walk on in. And he's got it signed. Who's she signing films that she just saw now and nothing else? <laughs> um, Kevin Klein's going, shouldn't I ever sign that? <laughs> Seems like. No, thank you, Kevin. We really? have Alfred. Because I start in it. Al- and Al- I have a pen. Get away from this DVD cover. Shelby's going to go like this. You don't have a pen. I'm looking right at and You're not Kevin Klein. I want everybody to clear out of this fucking room when Vigo gets here. Can I stay? Please. You know how much I love I've Lord of the Rings. I've gotten the words that he's not here to talk about Lord of the Rings. He's talking here to talk about his new film. Yeah, but I still want to... He's like, a very fucking bright person, Chris. I love Vigo Mortensen. I love his career, and I, and I especially love him for the Lord of the Rings thing. Why are you yelling that? <laughs> I'm happy. This is happy. I'll go like this. Vigo, a uh, young man, uh, is a big f- fan of yours, and he wants to scream in your face. Yeah. How is it working in New Zealand? Great, right? Fucking love Peter Jackson. 
By the way, that is a lot of the questions that he gets. <laughs> How was it working in New Zealand? Great, right? And people will think that that's a question. He's made this film, Two Faces of January. It's an old film noir thriller. By the way, Andrew just said that that was you that said Hitchcock. Yeah. I said it was probably me. Why really, I fucked the word up. You're a goddamn detective, aren't you? All right, easy, Chris. All right, I All right I'm going to back off, Andrea. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, my buddy Pit Duck is calling. See if he's got my pills ready. No. His phone is acting crazy. Pit Duck, how are you, my friend? Hey, Ronnie, I got a spy report. Spy report? Yeah. Next uh, Tuesday, there's a big uh, exhibition opening in Chicago about David Bowie. He, they, uh, the, uh, a, a group in, uh, in England put out this big thing. It's going to be there through January. But at the same time, on Tuesday uh, night at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a, a movie about the making of the documentary or, of, of the exhibition. So it's going to be like an hour-and-a-half movie about Bowie uh, opening in uh, several theaters, three of them in New York. Now, what is the only- exhibition? Uh, it's it's called David Bowie is it's it's put out by the Albert Hall thing it's like it, everything like from his old like like the Ziggy Stardust uh, costume and uh, videos and things like that but it's going to be everything from his from his first uh, ever uh, roles to up to current days. Why would they put this in Chicago? I don't know. It's going to be there through January fifth, so time for a road trip maybe. But uh, where does it, it go? Might be moving that? around. New York? Huh? No, it's not New York. It's Chicago. Uh, I'm think MCA in Chicago. I'm not sure what it's about, but uh, it's it's uh, photographs, costumes, and uh, everything from the David Bowie archive. So the only place this documentary is involved is in theaters. Well, we well the documentary is going to be opening in theaters around the country, but it's only you know, like in art theaters like the Angelica next Tuesday. But it's only like going to be at seven o'clock next Tuesday. But it's going to be about the so you know, if people who can't go to get to see the uh, the exhibition can at least watch the movie. Even if I go to the exhibition, I want to see the movie, too. I want it all. Yeah, probably. <laughs> There's a star, man. <laughs> Pitak, you always have the best information. Thank you, sir. Take it easy. Peace. Bye. Love the Pitak. He's my personal doctor. I know he is. He keeps me healthy. Everything but your brain. <laughs> Pitak, could you write me some script for brain pills? Um, can you get some flowers for Algernon, please? <laughs> That's what he needs. And I take that. Yeah. I would call it vitamin C for Chris Stanley. Uh, Tom, in New York City, New York. Give me your hands, Ron. Give us your I know hands. that exhibition is actually traveling. It's not just going to be there. Thank you for uh, saying that. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's going to make the round, so I'm sure it'll hit New York. Um, you mentioned Big Brother before, and I just wanted to say, you know, with these shows, inevitably... The people that I hate the most when they start, by the time the show's over, I, I want them to win. Like, at first I hated the country bumpkin Donnie, but then he turned out to be such a sweet guy. I was hoping that he would hang in till the end. But the big one for me is the cop. You know, I come from an era when, yeah, I know we're supposed to worship them now, but in the back of my mind, they're all still pigs, and I can't stand them, and I hate the cop. But now I want that guy to win. He uh, don't you think game. it's cheating, though, to have a show about deception and have an undercover cop in there? It's basically his job. He's undercover for months, and he must be amazing as yeah, being an undercover cop because he's no <laughs> one is on to him at all of the shit it that he's been fun. doing. But it's, it's almost cheating having him in that building. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Good. But it's funny. You look at him, he's even got the little pushed-up nose, you know? Yeah, little cop <laughs> nose. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like, he's an undercover cop in Rhode Island, so his big bus was getting two kids of some in nickel bag, you know? <laughs> no, I don't know what he does. I'm sure there's a pretty ugly criminal scene in Rhode Island. Yeah, but he's got that photographic mind, as he said. There's a lot really of Italians in Rhode Island, a lot of Italians in Providence. There's a, uh, and that doesn't just mean that crime, that they commit crimes, but there's always crime around them. And I hope that doesn't come off sounding racist. No. But they start a lot of mafias and mobs. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? A lot of, they're involved in a lot of murder for hire. Okay, all right. Uh, and extortion, blood, you know, and, and prostitution and illegal drugs. Uh, we, do we break before Vigo or no? Fuck. Well then, do me a favor and, and change out of that shirt. I don't have another shirt. I'd here. rather you sat there with no shirt on than wearing that. Okay, I think it's gonna be weird out Vigo, but <laughs> you just <laughs> sitting there with no shirt on and just go like this. Hey, dude, love your stuff, Vig. I will tell you this. Um... And you are more, I'm more than happy to let you stay here for it. Thank you. But only speak if he speaks to you. No. Okay. You, on the other hand, Fez, jump in anytime you want. Because you've been the man today. Shelby, deaf mute this shit, okay? Deaf mute it. Uh, the film, it's called uh, The Two Faces of January. Uh, remember, remind you very much of a Hitchcock film. Love that guy. Uh, uh, Two Faces of January comes out in theaters Friday, September 26th. Now, for you hayseeds that aren't near independent film theaters, you will have to watch it on iTunes and on demand. Watch it on your new smartwatch. I don't have one. Hold on, Chris is going to do the diamond cutter. Sell <laughs> five five. Um, but anyway, uh, Vigo is in that, and we're going to bring him in right now, Mr. Vigo Morrison. married couple meet a stranger in a beautiful country and they all start to lie to each other this is what movies used to be at yeah. one time this is the way movies would start so uh it feels like a film that and you, and you realize that they've been lying for, for years forever yeah, <laughs> yeah forever and that is what like adults used to go out and see yeah. as entertainment i think that's the fantastic thing about this movie the tone is set almost immediately yeah well hus amini the director yeah. was well known for uh, for being a screenwriter you know he's won awards been nominated for lots of other awards uh, drive for mm -hmm. example was a movie he wrote 
um, he this is his first time directing a movie which it doesn't look like it at all no. it looks like a work no. of a veteran but he's a big film noir fan his house is full of uh, collectible you know like right. uh, posters from from the movies of the golden age of film noir and the thing about film noir which people if you put them to the test they have a hard time describing it. what does it mean is it mm-hmm. only movies from the 40s that are in black and white with long shadows and a detective or or what is it exactly to me it's just uh, it's a story in which everyone loses, yeah, yeah, and usually everyone's lying, with or without a detective involved, and it doesn't have to be in black and white. It can be in glorious color, like this movie is. And uh, you know, he really, like you say, he got the tone right. You know, he he. I think one of the secrets is that it's not. There are no absolutes. They're not absolutely bad. Uh, there's what he shows is something that people don't do so much anymore in in intelligent stories, is that the characters are not just behaving badly now and then, but they're insecure and they're weak. Yeah. yeah there's there's moments where you kind of almost want to turn away. It's embarrassing, you know, that someone can be that insecure or that jealous or that petty, you know. And the and and for my character, who's a con man. His weakness is 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 on on the one hand his greatest asset, uh, the one thing that's good about him, the one thing that you can at the end of the story believe is true, maybe the only thing that he loves his wife. But that's his weakness, that is and his that's weakness. why he's insecure about yeah. this younger man, you know, played by Oscar Isaac. Uh, Kirsten Dunst plays my my wife in it, and she. She, you know, she always lends a, an air of elegance and class to, to any show she's in. And it was important to get someone like her to play the, the part because the, the book that it's based on is a lot like the talented Mr. Ripley. It's by mm-hmm. the same author, Patricia Highsmith. But as usually happens in her stories, Highsmith stories, the men are the interesting characters and the women are kind of shallow. And, and in the case of The Two Faces of January in the novel, she's kind of a... She's kind of a dumb slut, really. Mm-hmm. She's not much more than that. And in this story, she's got class, and she's much more interesting, and she has her own insecurities that come come to play. Well, you know, even when I use the word adult very early on is because, you know, these kind of films, and this film in particular, it's like it's a complicated life, mm. and we're seeing them just as everything you know, starts to crumble. Yeah, you know, if we yeah. would have caught them a year or two earlier, we might have admired them. You and, might not have realized that yeah, they had any problems. Fall, yeah, fell for the same thing. And there's always those people in life. Some of them turn out to be billionaires that you know, many times they go to bed at night and could be losing everything, but yeah. they just keep going. Um, there was a chance that this guy could have worked something out. You know, you never know because he's a well, smart that's, guy. Well, that's also not just as a, on, on a psychological level but also on a tactical level mm-hmm. strategy of a con man yeah she's his weakness as well right because if it wasn't for caring about her and wanting to show her a good time in europe he would have moved he would have been a little quicker on his feet yeah and he, and he might have got away he yeah. might have just disappeared yeah, and he might have you know and that's yeah that is uh but we did always kind of use uh, i think in the past that way that women were men's weakness you know <laughs> yeah, what i mean yeah. you know I mean, another thing that I like about this as a thriller, as a story, is that it is like those old movies when they're really well made, you know, the Mm -hmm. the dramatic uh, thrillers, is that the bad guy 
there's something about the the people who behave badly. There's a certain elegance to them. There's something that's intriguing yeah. or charming about them. That doesn't matter what they do. Almost, I mean, yeah. they can lie, they can steal, they can kill, and you want them to get away with it. You As are, an audience member, yeah, you, you want them to get away from the cops. Yeah, you're you want them to get from, away with the money, the yeah. girl, everything. No matter what he does. And it may be because he looks like okay, he t- took this money, but he knows how to appreciate it. You know, he's wearing the right things. He's at the right place. He's at the right <laughs> hotel. You're like, yeah, go, yeah. just move. But you know, the the thing that's changed over the years that that this film gets back to mm. is that sweet tension you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. now we think of a thriller as things are jumping out and there's action and there's explosions electronics yeah yeah (laughs) this is just that tension going on and on and on so you know well there's there is something to that because it's 1962 uh on the one hand there's no cell phones there's no right you know cable tv and there isn't the digital uh, you know, uh, traces that you leave everywhere you go now. Yeah. Um, so falsifying passports, uh, sneaking across borders, changing your identity constantly. It's, it's believable. Yeah. It was more possible back then for a con man like Chester McFarlane, Chester McFarlane, the guy I play to, to get away with that stuff. But there's also something else which, has to do it's a, it's another time you know uh, in 1962 John F Kennedy was president and there was still a lot of goodwill more mm-hmm. than now uh towards Americans abroad yeah. you know it was there was still that that afterglow of World War 2 you know we, we were we were the good yeah. guys yeah. our corporations hadn't shown up and americanized europe you know yeah and we hadn't you know our foreign policy wasn't seen as as so rapacious yeah. as it is now, you know, and I mean, things change with the Vietnam War, with Watergate, with, you know, and in recent years, obviously, with, with uh, what's happened. But it was a different time, you know, and, you know, a con man like Chester, he could play the bumbling, well off American tourist and get away with it. And I think back then, even if, you know, uh, maybe the more kind of, let's say, criminal European people or people just looking for a quick buck or whatever, they would look at these tourists as maybe clumsy and throwing their money around and, well, I can take this guy for a little money or I can overcharge him for something. But they weren't really seen as evil or bad, you know, as sometimes people choose to look at americans now unfortunately uh not everybody but mm-hmm. there is that it, it was a different period you know it's like you see chester mcfarlane and his wife colette and their nice clothes and staying in these nice hotels and throwing their money around big tippers and all that and you kind of think well of them it's like well i wish i could be them sure you know, there isn't a disdain that there is now yeah in some some places in the world and like you said each culture was different so if you went to greece you had to throw yourself into it what is this food you couldn't True. look around for mcdonald's or no, there wasn't whatever. cnn on tv yeah there wasn't a cnn we were different pla- i mean even back in this in the early 60s like that when you would travel around the country uh-huh. you know if you went from new york to mississippi it was, it was a different world, world you yeah. know. I had uh, relatives down there that I went to stay with, and I'm like, where? 
Where what do I? they eat? What do they do? <laughs> Why are they acting this way? You know, wherever you would go. Uh, and you kind of grew up, you lived in different countries as yeah, well. I was born in New York City, and yeah. my dad moved around a lot for work. And uh, the first decade of my life, I mostly was raised in uh, South America. Mm -hmm. My dad's Danish, so I also spent some time in Denmark. So I got a lot of, I think there's a lot of actors or a lot of people in the movie business who have had itinerant childhoods, you know, where they move around. Yeah. At least in my case, I know that part of my interest in working the way I do as an actor, which I see my responsibility as largely being to find a way to look at the world from the points of view of others, mm -hmm. you know, to do the best I can to see it. I'm never going to totally become another person. I'm still me. But yeah. to, 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 even if it's a point of view that I disagree with personally, or, uh, you know, someone like Chester McFarland, yeah. not a guy that I would... I might want to hang out with him. He's pretty charming. He's yeah. kind of fun. But I wouldn't trust him if I really knew what he's like. But how does he look at the world? What are his influences? And and I think that every, at least for me, every time I work in a movie story, it's it's another layer of learning that's possible. Yeah. It's like a paid university, you know. In the case of Chester, I, I thought a lot about uh, people my from my father's generation. Um, you know, Americans who, who had been through the Depression, grew up in that as kids, and who fought in World War II, mm -hmm. and had a kind of, uh, even if they were guys who were disreputable, like Chester, there was a certain toughness, like, I can take it, and I'll keep coming right. back at you, and there's a certain presentation, too, it's part of his con, but it's also the way men were. Even if you were a working class guy back then, if you had one jacket, you'd wear it. Yeah. And you'd have, you were careful about how your, your hair cut and you shaved or yeah. your mustache or whatever. There was a certain uniformity, a certain dignity to your personal appearance that was more, I don't know, it was more uniform. You see it in the movies, you see it in old photographs, you know, people going to work in factories, even people working on, on movie sets. You'd see the crew, they'd be wearing jackets. Ball and, game and pictures. Shirts. You look at a ball game yeah. and they were, guys would wear suits That's to a right. baseball game because you were in public, you yeah. were out there. Right. And like they might said, not wear a tie, but sometimes yeah. they would too. Yeah. But, but like you said, it's because that was in public, you had to present yourself. But, you know, that kind of research that you do, because they lived internal lives, we won't will feel it more. I think that's what yeah. I meant about tone here. That you see the way he carries himself. Well, I always know that, yeah. that the, and that's why I love the preparation period. Yeah. Is that it's like you have a table, your kitchen table, and you end up stacking books and notes and pieces of paper and objects and clothing and ideas, a yeah. whole pile, and then you start thinning it out and what's the most useful and then yeah. in the end you throw it all out the window because when they say action you're just looking at the other actor and you're yeah. trying to make it work but you have to count on the fact that that research you've done which is fun and unlimited you know yeah. now needs to be distilled and forgotten about and it'll come to your aid subconsciously and like you say even if it's something that's not said or written for the movie audience, they'll feel like, okay, I'm looking at someone from that place and that time. Yeah. That's the goal, anyway. Yeah, and of course, and the way to ruin a movie like this would be him to explain why he got to that point. Yeah. It's up to us. You have to understand that the audience can pick up, you know, maybe something happened to him in the war, and he said, I'm going to get little, mine now, whatever it happens little to Little by little, you get yeah. these little bits of information. The thing that's interesting about this kind of story... You know, when you're dealing with a con man, by the end of the story, you realize Chester McFarland 
is not his name, and you'll yeah. never know his name, and yeah. you'll never be sure where exactly he's from. Although for myself, I did what I always do with characters, is I ask myself, what happened between the moment he was born and page one of the script, you know? Where was he born? What were his parents like? Economic circumstances. All those things have to do with the way you speak, the way you move, mm -hmm. your likes and dislikes, the kind of people you're attracted to, you know, uh, the kind of woman he wants to be with. Yeah. And is, you know, why, how did that happen? That all has to do with how you started as a kid, as it does for all of us. And that's, that's an interesting deal. And, but there are little moments, you know, I mean, you know, he loves his wife. Yeah. I think I, that's one thing that's, well, we, we, that's sure. Yeah. We come to know that, you know, and, as we yeah, know. I think you yeah. realize that he really does and that that's where the other guy gets yeah. at him. That's his weakness his Achilles heel. But I think you feel that it's probably true that he was in the war. Maybe, you know, when mm -hmm. they have that scene with a detective yeah. and they sort of compare notes and they realize that like, most guys back then, yeah, we both. So where'd you? Where were you? Right. In what theater were you during the war? And um, there's there's something that feels authentic about that. It could be bullshit. Right. I don't know, but, but I we, don't think so. Yeah. I I didn't feel it was. And there's something, but it's also a good con. He's yeah. he's reluctant to talk about it. Yeah. This is war experience. Which seems authentic. Exactly, because millions of guys went there. Yeah. And millions of guys, and this is, you know, my father's generation, it, maybe over decades we heard little pieces of this and, you know, hearing, when they get older, they Yeah, when they get older, yeah. And then you hear not even from the, um, you know, the, the kind of movie propaganda, but you hear, a, boy, that was, you know, it was a sad time. Yeah. But before you had heard when you were younger, like it was maybe the greatest time ever. Yeah. You know, then you, th as he, you, as he gets older, you hear about fear and regret and stuff like that. And it's, people. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you now know during that time, millions of people were killed. I mean, yeah. you know, we, Vietnam used to be on the TV when I was growing up, but to think it could be that much larger than Vietnam, it's, it's hard to believe. And then a know? guy that comes back and then he's, Goes back to his small town, or yeah. he's an accountant, or he's a dentist, or yeah. whatever. He works in a factory, and he has a wife and kids, and maybe he works in the garden on Sunday, and he likes to watch a football game. And a year earlier, or two years, or three years yeah. earlier, he was slitting people's throat in some island in the South Pacific, yeah. you know, because he had to. And yeah, and when those memories come back, he shares it with nobody. Right. You know what I mean? Right. No one from right. that generation. They really did keep it inside yeah you know there wasn't groups of people getting together to share feelings right you know yeah it just wasn't the man's way to do things but yeah then. so that's where this you know entire when we talk about film noir that's almost the the birth of i don't even want to say cynicism but a, an awakening to everything that you heard or believed yeah. leading up to that point yeah there was a, a loss of innocence yeah represented by these guys that came back and, and in the 40s you know those black and white film noir movies the sort of heyday of that a lot of these characters had that sort of were war veterans right. and whether they were on the side of the law or whether they were shady detectives private detectives mm -hmm. or criminals you know there was something there there was a certain loose bond they were those kinds of yeah. men you know the yeah. sort of characters that you saw in those movies even the crazy characters that richard widmark played and you know other there was just something 
uh, it had very much to do with that uh, loss of innocence, that post-war thing, the possibility that that people weren't, weren't really good, that yeah. you should question everything that you took for granted about sure. human nature, you know, being basically decent. Maybe not. And physicality was always on the table. You know what I mean? Two men could end up fighting at any time. Over nothing. Over nothing. <laughs> over the fact that this you were slighted or... Yeah, what are you looking at her for? Yeah. yeah. And that thing of where, you know, I don't think kids today understand what it's like to see adults fight. Yeah. But those guys would... would Duke it out. Like, people yeah. just, like, you know, middle-aged guys would, like, let's just step outside. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like that they had guns and yeah. all the stuff that now, you know, generally. Uh, so when you get a script like this, it's it's a, a, a long commitment for you before you even show it, up on the set. It always is. In, yeah. a, in a story like this, where you have a first-time director, as recognized as he was as a screenwriter at that point, you know, he'd been living with this story that he wanted to direct. the only one he'd ever thought he'd wanted to direct for years, for mm -hmm. 15 years or more. And then one day I read the script and I, through my agent, got a hold of him. I said, this is great. Um, what are you doing? And he says, do you want to do it? I'd love for you to do it, you know, and so forth. Then it took two, three years before we really were got it done. And when you have a first-time director and you have a story that's unusual, that's original like mm -hmm. this one it takes a little while for people to have faith and put their money into it um but we we're fortunate to attract you know really good actors to mm -hmm. complete the trio oscar isaac terrific uh, really fine actor and kirsten dunce who we've been speaking about and you know we took it from there and haas used that time all those years <laughs> that it took uh, that he had to wait you know to get this made he prepared himself really well, you know, and he talked with us, we rehearsed together, and he left no stone unturned. So by the first day of shooting, it felt very relaxed, and I think, you know, he was open to our contributions. He wasn't insecure, mm -hmm. being a first-time director. On the contrary, he was really, uh, I don't know, it was a very smooth shoot. We laughed a lot, we had a good time, we worked really hard. And we, we got along. And well, it, I imagine Oscar was, was kind a of, great experience. Yeah. And, but you never know, even if all that is true, right. and, and your roadmap is a great script, your blueprint, um, you just don't know how all the things will come together by the end. But I was really happy when I saw it the first time on a big screen. Uh, I, I thought, well, this is, this is what I was hoping. You know, this is what you always hope, that it's a movie that's, that's interesting, that's different, and that's going to hold up. A movie mm. I'd go see in the movie theater. Sure. I mean, that's what I... I can't please everyone. I don't know what you want to see. Yeah. I can only do what I think is interesting and challenging, where I'm going to learn something. And this is a movie that's going to that's going to last, you know, that's going to be remembered. Yeah. Well, we sometimes we forget that the, the purpose of movies were, was always to be like a conversation starter for the audience, you know? A lot of times we go to films now and we're like, oh, it's a lot of stuff is exploding and it's colorful. And, and it's a leave. monologue. They yeah. don't leave anything to the imagination. Yeah. It's like you walk out of the theater. It's like yeah. fast food. You digest it very quickly and yeah. you kind of forget about it. And you yeah. kind of think, well, maybe I could have seen something else. 
Because, yeah, because we're saying like we're trying to figure out your character, but you do the same thing with Oscar's character. You're like, wait, what is driving him? Is right. is he? Is, is this a father figure for him? Is he? Is he trying to get a family, or is he well, really? Well, that's what's interesting. The dance yeah. between the chess match between these two yeah. guys is that they take turns underestimating each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, and that's also a weakness. You know, yeah. he thinks, okay, he's a rich guy. He's kind of clumsy. I can take him. He has no idea. That I'm a manipulative con man. Yeah. Uh, and then when he realizes, then it becomes competitive over the girl, over the woman, over money, just and just ego. Just made two males going at it. And, you know, they take turns taking the lead. You know, sometimes I outfox him. Yeah. Sometimes he gets me. And it's kind of a draw by the end, an interesting draw. And, and they're actually drawn together. Like, yeah. for whatever reason, these two guys want to be in yeah. the same room yeah, together. Yeah, there's, there's a great line from a film noir movie. I, can't, uh, I think it was called... Uh, it's not one of the best ones. But the Night Editor. It's a film noir movie from probably 46, 47, around there. And there's a character that says to another one, and I wrote, I remember because I wrote it down in my notebook as, I, as we were shooting the two phases of January. I thought this is, this is true of the relationship that my character has with both of those characters, but especially between the two men. And one character says to another, there's a sickness, uh, we're, we're not, we're not so different, you and I, something like that. Uh, we're a lot alike. There's a sickness inside you that has to hurt or be hurt you know yeah something i I'm, I'm paraphrasing but that's basically the line from that movie and i thought even though it wasn't the greatest movie i loved that line sure and that there's tons of great lines in yeah it's lines. like any good addiction you know as much as you're it's hurting me but i yeah, want it i, I have want to it. have it i crave it yeah and that's the kind of you know push-pull relationship that there is between these two men rydell and chester and Colette is kind of caught in the middle, but there's something like that happening with her and her sure. husband too, you know. Yeah, because there was plenty of there was plenty of chances for her to go. Oh, this isn't what I need to be. I'm not going to go on the run. And why does she stay there? Yeah, it's she's like there. relationships that you see that are abusive or mm -hmm. unhappy. And why do they stay together for years? You know, if you look beyond, if it's not just a religious thing that you have to stay together, if it's why do they stay together? And it's that. There's a sickness inside you that has to hurt or be hurt. That you, In any case, you can't disengage. You can't walk away. There's something there. And you can look at it in a positive way and say, well, there must be, there must be a trace of love still there. But maybe it's just sick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it is. Uh, uh, the Two Faces of January comes out in theaters Friday, September 26th. Currently available is on, on iTunes and on demand. Magpictures.com for more information. Vigo, thank you so much. Uh, I got to say, I yeah. want to add to that, that even though you can see it in other, you know, uh, in other ways, I really recommend this movie uh, be seen on a big screen because it's, it's, it's gorgeous. incredibly yeah. photographed. It's, it's really beautiful to watch. And the places we're at, you know, just to see that on a big screen is... It's great in Greece and on Crete and Istanbul. It's 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 a really one of the more beautiful movies I've well, been. Well, obviously, if you at. can get to a theater, but sometimes the people in the yeah. middle of the country, you know, well, this I hope is, you have a big screen. Yeah, <laughs> at it, home. Vigo, thank you so much, thank man. You. I'll see you next time coming through. Yep.
You know what you've been doing? You've been listening to the Ron and Fez show. It's now over, but don't worry. You can listen again and again on Sirius XM On Demand. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand. Listen to Ron and Fez whenever you want. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand.